Hey guys, Tiff here. Uh, just wanted to put a little disclaimer on this episode. The audio quality is not quite what you have come to expect with our previous episodes. We had what I can only describe as the perfect storm of hardware and software issues. You're going to hear some noise on the track. You're going to hear a little bit of reverb when people talk. We did our best to get rid of it, and the content here is just too awesome to throw away. So we're leaving it up to you guys whether or not you want to listen. We had a whole lot of fun making this episode, and I hope you're able to enjoy it. Thanks. episode 15 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. Thank you for joining us again. My name is Matt, and on today's cast with me are my two co-hosts, Tiffany B. Hey. And Dan. Hello, ladies. Jesus. <laughs> or since this is our podcast, hello, lady. Is the lady me? Yeah, I'm betting you're the only lady. I think That's... it's hello, dames. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hello, dames. There we go. All right, everyone, our regular plug, remember that you can chat with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot us an email, podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com, or head over to the BGG Guild, number 2077, to talk about our discussion topics or anything else game-related that is on your mind. So today's show, we're going to do some news and Kickstarter spotlight. We have some cool projects to talk about. And then we're going to be joined by the Fleeples, Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle. Uh, designers of Fleet and Eggs and Empires most recently. And we're going to be chatting with them about some of their new releases that they have in store, as well as some other stuff. And then we're going to round out the show by talking about our most anticipated games of 2015. But, as usual, before we get into any of that, let's chat about what we've been playing. And I'd like to start with one of the games that all three of us have played. Tiff and I have played a bunch of, actually. And that is Roll for the Galaxy. So, Roll for the Galaxy is from designers Thomas Lehman and Wei Wa Wang, and this is published by Rio Grande Games. And this has recently come out at the end of 2014, and this is a dice um, iteration of the popular game Race for the Galaxy, which is a card-based game. This is a game where instead of playing cards, you're going to be rolling dice every turn, doing phase selection, and trying to build your empire. Um, all through this dice-building mechanic. So let's chat about what we thought, because I think we have a difference of opinions, as usual. So, Tiff, you've been playing this a ton. What's up? Uh, How do you feel about it? I love it. I mean, for me, it solves all the problems that I was having with Race for the Galaxy, um, which I really liked that game um, and played it a little bit, but no one in my group would play it with me. So the iconography was too hard to remember, and just it was hard to get back into if you took a little break from it. And it just didn't get to the table that much, so I ended up um, trading it away. So this one, everything that you do, or everything that you can do, the text is on the cards to tell you that. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of iconography, but there's a nice player aid in your shield that you can use, and everybody, everybody that I've played it with so far has enjoyed it. So... I think it's a great alternative. So I would say the same comment that everyone that I played with has enjoyed it, except possibly Dan. I don't really know his opinions on it. 
So Dan and I got one four-player game of this together um, recently, a couple days ago. And Dan, what were your thoughts? I never got your thoughts on the game. Yeah. So let's start out by saying I didn't really care for Race for the Galaxy. I think that's universal amongst the three of us, actually. Um, yeah. It's something about that game, the, the difficult symbolism and I don't know, just something about it. I, I can see the merit in it, and I can understand why people like it. I think it had some unique mechanics uh, when it came out, and it's it's a solid game, but it just it was one of those that just didn't strike a chord for me. Uh, this one, obviously I went into it a little bit hesitant because it was in the same galaxy, and it had a lot of the same, I don't know if it's same symbolism, but it was chock full of symbolism. Uh, just looking through some videos and watching it, um, the big thing for me was the price. I was very deterred by that. Um, we can talk about that in a minute. But as far as gameplay was concerned, um, I thought it was all right. I think I need another player or so to really nail down my feelings on it. Um, I won that game, which was cool. Um, so, I, I mean, it wasn't something I had difficulty picking up on. It was very easy, uh, mechanically speaking. I thought the rule set was really confusing when you were explaining it. I kind of just glossed over and it was just like, wow, what's going on? Even though they give you the handy-dandy spreadsheet, or not spreadsheet, sorry, uh, sheet that blocks your crap. <laughs> That's a technical term. The player it, shield. It comes with four things that block your crap. Uh, <laughs> it was just it was just a little bit confusing at first, but once we got into it, it's definitely one of those games that once you play it, you kind of get a feel for it. So after about the third round, seeing everyone else kind of go through the phases, I, I, I caught up on it. But I don't know. I thought it was all right. Again, I touched on the price. I would never pay $60 for this game. I didn't think it was worth it. I understand there's a gajillion dice in it, so it's it probably has to factor into it. But as far as gameplay, I didn't think it was $60 worth of gameplay. But that's just my personal opinion. Again, I'll play it again. I have no issue with it. See, I think it has a lot of replayability in that box. I mean, aside from the dice, which I had kind of was hoping against hope maybe that they'd be etched dice, and the fact that they're just printed is a concern. Um, but I think, let's see, I've played it probably nine times, eight or nine times now, which is a lot for me. And um, I, I I haven't had a, the same feel for for my galactic empire yet like it's it's been a different game each time so far so i think there's a lot of replayability you can get it online for much cheaper like on amazon right now it's 44 dollars. so i think that's probably a more reasonable price like paying full retail at the game store it's probably a hard price to swallow for a lot of gamers but it, i do think it is worth shelling out some money for the replayability that you're getting in that box and some really nice components dice cups Dice cups. Dice cups. You can use those for anything, Dan. You can use those for anything. I think forty dollars is fair, but for a dice game, I mean, a dice game, sixty bucks is just like really. Like you're just anti dice game right now. I'm not anti dice game. Yes, you are. I'm a dice games, but I don't think they're worth. I I don't have a dice game at sixty dollars. Well, how much did you pay for uh, Run Fighter Die? Yeah, a lot. But that was miniatures based. If this oh. had miniatures, if this had like little aliens that I could like move around the board, cool. I'll send you some alien miniatures, and then you should buy it so we can play it online. So let me yes. jump in here and divide you two, please. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I do think that sixty dollars is is a high price. Fortunately, I did not pay that much for it. Um, I am disappointed that the dice are not etched. Although I like that they're 
I like and I don't like that they're smaller dice. When I first opened it, I was like, these are so tiny. But once you play the game, it makes sense. Like, that's the proper size for this game. Um, but those concerns aside, I think that the gameplay-wise, it's engaging, it's fun. Um, I really like simplicity in the rule set plus the depth of strategy. Um, I do have a qualm with kind of like the player engagement. This was a thing um, that was a problem with Race for the Galaxy as well, though, is that it's, you know, people throw around that it's just a solitaire game. Um, we played today a three-player game a couple hours ago, and it was tons of fun. I enjoyed it the whole time, but we basically just, like, did our phases by ourselves and then just waited for the other people to finish kind of thing. So it's not very interactive. I was purposefully trying to be like, well, what does that get you, and what does this get you, and trying to focus on other people, but you're basically playing by yourself. And that's the only thing that I would see as a downside, but um, well, and I find I... the game super fun. Go ahead, Tiff, sorry. No, it's okay. I, I was going to say that's a strength um, in my book right now just because the way I've gotten to play it so many times is via Skype. I've been playing with uh, Chris Kopak a bunch, and um, because you really are working on your own thing by yourself. And yes, seeing other people's tableau definitely can help you plan out your phase a little bit more, but it is very Skypeable, which makes it more playable for me because I don't always have a someone ready to go um, yeah. to play games. No, it's definitely a merit of the game and, and the fact that, I mean, we played two games on Skype back-to-back. Probably took us like an hour and a half what, to play both of them. I mean, it's quick, it's fast, and you really feel like you've done something by the end of the game, which is exciting because you look, and even though... I think I've lost all five games that I've played. Like, I'm, I'm drastically, I keep coming in second place. Um, but I feel good about what I did, and, and I like the strategies, and I've tried different things, and most of the games have been very close. I think today was our biggest kind of um, separation points, where the low person was at 36 or so, and the high person was at 44. But I think all the other games we had were pretty tight. Um, Tiff, I know when we played, I think you beat me by like one or two points yeah, all my games have been close. Dan, what were you going to say? No, I was going to say, I could see it working for Skype, but for me personally, I need to see everyone's tableau, because that helps me set my own pacing. I mean, I know when we played, Ben just somehow built all of these giant worlds, and I have no clue how he got the dice to do it. But with that in mind, I saw it, and it kind of it factored into how I took my turns. I Unless, like, you're playing on Skype with the cameras down, I don't think I could do it. Because for me, it's such a solitary activity that I think the only thing that keeps me awake is actually looking around the table, setting my pace, and just... Because it is a race. I mean, so if I can't see what you're doing, yeah, you guys are talking and probably shouting it out, what you're building and stuff like But I just... For me, as the type of gamer I am, I, I'd have to physically see what's going on, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's it's one of the limitations of Skype. I mean, Skype gaming at its heart, and this might be another topic, but I mean, it's really about just being able to game when you can't game, so you, you make little sacrifices, and like what I was doing was with Tiff is we were talking about what we had, and I was building Tiff's little tableau next to me, so I could look at what she had, and it's not the ideal way to play, but if it means that I get a couple more games of this in, then, you know, you kind of make those, those sacrifices, but I do agree with you that the, I think I enjoyed the games that I played with people in person more than our Skype games just because I like having someone sitting right there right with me. But I think it's a boon how easy this can be played across the internet. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a game with with Tiff. Yes. If it snows tomorrow, we're going to play like five games. (laughs) That would be amazing. After we edit the podcast. 
Ah, true. True. <laughs> but yeah, so any other thoughts on Roll for the Galaxy? I think this is... I think we're all enjoying it, it sounds like. You know, some more than others, but it, it seems like it's a pretty solid game, and if you can get it on the cheap, you know, I would recommend it. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, I would. I don't... I don't know how much staying power it has, but I, I think it's a decent game. Dan recommends it reluctantly. He's very sad to... to I, I won't buy it. I won't buy it myself, but I'll play it. Fortunately, I'll say that. How about not that? have to. No, I know. But Tiff was asking me if I was going to buy it, and I said no. All right, so let's talk about a game you did buy. We played Hare and Tortoise. And Ter- Ter and Tortoise? We played Hare and Tortoise. Hare and, and so what drives you to buy a $30 children's game more so than a $60 dice game? Well, children here is twenty bucks, technically, because I bought it online. But it's a wonderful game, actually. To be honest, it is. I agree. I'm not. Um, it. It's. I don't know. I've been on a high from Camel Up. I really liked Camel Up, and that is just a quick, um, you know, race filler. Uh, Hare and Tortoise is not dice based. It's actually card based, and what you're doing is you're reenacting, I guess, the race within the fairy tale itself. So you've got. Um, the hare, the tortoise, the wolf, the lamb, and the fox, I believe, are the five characters. And what happens is, before the race, everyone's dealt a uh, face-down character card, and that is the character that you're looking to, to bet on for, for the win. And then you're dealt uh, seven cards, I believe it is, seven, yeah. And from that seven cards, you take one more card from your hand, and you can put that face down. So these are the two characters that you're you're looking to win the game. Um, first place gets five points, second place gets three points, third place gets two points. So you could double up on the same animal, or you could kind of split hairs. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> wow. And, come on, guys, please. Why don't we um, let him in here? <laughs> whatever. But, or you could, you know, you can split split up and go for two and maybe try and get first and second. Um, or hedge your bets, like I said, and, and try and get one of them at least the first. But what you're doing is you're going to be playing cards. So um, each round is you play cards uh, in turn order until either four of the same card is played of one animal or eight cards in total are played. Uh, what happens then is that triggers a leg of the race. And each animal, this is one of the cool parts of it, and it's, one of, it's a really neat mechanic, actually. It's so simple, but it works so well. Is Each animal has specific movement based on the number of cards that was played during that leg. Um, so, for instance, like the turtle, zero to three, he moves one space. So he's always moving, even if no one's played a card. So he's just slowly chugging. But if you play four cards, um, he goes two spaces. Uh, the lamb goes plus one the number of cards you played. The hare goes one space, but if you've played four, it doesn't move at all, or something along those lines. But anyways, each each animal has their own specific tailored movement, and it's, it's really cool how you can play, and you can kind of bluff who you want to win by playing different animals, and it's, it's, it's really cool. It's unique, um, and it's quick. I think games of this took us like 15 minutes, maybe 20 tops. Um, and, and they're always close, but they're good. Yeah, I mean, I think we had a lot of fun with this game. This was one that you broke out kind of as a, I don't know, I'd say as a joke. Um, like, you, you had it there while we were playing something else, and you were, like, making side comments about punching out the game and stuff. Um, and I was like, all right, we'll play it and whatever. But then we played it again, and we ended up playing it, like, three or four times within a couple of days. 
and it's a surprisingly good race game. Um, Jason Katarski on his show said that it was probably overshadowed overshadowed by Camelot, and I agree that this game came out around the same time, and, I mean, race games aren't that common, and this is a surprisingly solid one, especially for being marketed towards kids. I had such a good time uh, playing this game and, and kind of messing with the mechanics, and it's got a little bit of, you know, tactics and strategy. There's some long-term stuff, and there's some short-term stuff you can do. Um, I don't know. It's just surprisingly good, and I guess the community thinks it's good because Will Wheaton put it on tabletop recently. I watched that episode. But, yeah, I think that if, you know, especially if you have kids, but even if you've got 20 bucks to spare and you want, like, a decent little race game that has some interesting card play, like, this is a good filler game. It doesn't take long, and it's nice to break out and just have some fun with. We played it with, I think, three players. I don't know if you played it with more than that, but it, it's it's solid. You know, I think that it's a fun game, and it's got interesting decisions to make, um, even though it's supposed to be so light. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one that my middle school group would like, but I'm not going to buy it with my own money, because it's part of, like, a series, and my OCD, and... It would cause problems. I'd have to buy all those storybook games. It didn't have it on the list, but the other, I know one of the other games in the series, I guess this is called like the storybook series or something like that, was yeah. Three Little Pigs. And I didn't find that nearly as engaging as this game. This was like, I enjoyed this game thoroughly. And Three Little Pigs felt more like a random kind of kid's game. That, mm. Yeah, this so one's definitely mind. the best of the three that I've played. Yeah. What's the other one that you played? The Baba Yaga? Baba Yaga. Mm. That one's weird. I don't even remember it, to be honest with you. I played that late. It's like about a witch that eats kids. I would imagine it would be weird. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. But the Heron Tortoise is great. And the production quality is awesome. You get a little track that you can manipulate every time you play. It even comes with little podiums that when the, the Meeple characters with stickers on them cross the line, you can stack them on the podium. It's just little touches. It's, it's and the art on the lame is my favorite. Go look yeah. at it. The art's cool, but... Kudos to Yellow. It's a, it's a really cool little game. Yeah. Well, something else pretty late that uh, apparently Tiff has been playing that I've only heard about. What's going on with Bucket King 3D, Tiff? Yeah, I finally got that. That was one of my like things I was looking forward to with yeah. Essen. It's just a little light card game, uh, two to six players, by Stefan Dora, who did Turn the Tide, which is one of... And for sale, right? So those are two of my like majorly favorite games. Um, Bucket King is a lot lighter than those games, I think, Uh Basically, on your turn, you're you're playing one to three cards, and you have to match the same uh, color as the person before you. So it kind of feels like a trick-taking game. If you can't match those cards, then you have to knock a bucket off of this 3D bucket pyramid that you have created. So when you start out with your hand... Um, you kind of you can look at what you have and build your pyramid based on the cards that you have in your hand. So if you're not very strong in a color, you can put those kind of towards the top of your pyramid. So when you have to poke a bucket out of your 3D thing, you're not taking a bunch of your buckets along with the problem with that is if you completely go that route, you're telling everybody exactly what you have in your hand. So if I if I have no purples in my hand, because there are five different colors, if I have no purples in my hand, so I put all my purples at the top of the pyramid, everybody knows I don't have purple, so they're going to 
make me play purple and I'm going to lose buckets faster and the game ends when the first player loses all their buckets. So there is a little bit of player, like, you can just not get any points and that's kind of sad, but my kids played this at Board Game Club and I was surprised at how much they enjoyed it or seemed to enjoy it. We, we played two games in a row, which usually they're on to the next game after one. They do not want to replay things. So I was kind of surprised. They wanted to play it again. There's a couple of like extra rules that you can add in and, um, and we tried a, cu- a couple of different variants when we played it the second time. So... It's a light game. It's probably more suited towards a younger audience, I would say, because my board game club, or my board game club, my board game group did not uh, seem that into it. So, but it's it'd probably be a good introduction to kind of a little bit of the trick-taking feel if you're trying to dip your toe into that. So. I mean, were you into it as a gamer, or were you into it more as like a teacher who could bring it to your kids? Um, I definitely enjoyed it more playing with the kids, but I just, I don't know. I feel like my group looked at it, took one look at it and was like, 3D buckets, what? And just kind (laughs) of were not engaged in, you know, to begin with. But um, because you're, you're poking buckets, it's not like that strategic, right? Like the end condition is based on how well you can poke a bucket out of a pyramid, like, and not lose. So I don't know. I think my group is definitely happier with more strategy than that <laughs> so they'll probably Every time i think about this game i just like i think about the weight of like coconuts right fair to compare the two i mean it's yeah i guess that's a fair comparison this is a little bit more gamey than that oh, okay. um i i think it's a little bit more gamery than that but it was really fun watching the kids do it one of the variants that we tried was and this was just based off the original card game because this was originally not 3d it was just the bucket king and one mm. of the rules from that game that they didn't put in this game is if you can match the total of the player be uh, before you Mm-hmm. you can change the direction of play. Oh. So they might send a color your way, and you can match that and send it back their way and kind of screw them over. And yeah. my kids loved it that way. <laughs> I lost every game, or both games that we played, obviously. Oh, well, yeah, you got to pick on you, right? Yeah, that's the goal of everybody I play with, so. <laughs> it sounds interesting, and it's one that I looked at as, like, like free shipping filler kind of right. thing when you're looking around. That's but, uh, how I would recommend it, too. If you want yeah. something that's super light, and especially if you have kids, this is a nice game for that. But I don't know. It's not It's it's not for sale. We'll, we'll put it that way. So if you're looking at Stephendora and thinking this is going to be like a nice thinky filler thing, it's it's not that. Yeah. It's very light. And is this going to be in your next board game? Board game Bliss order? No. Hey, if this was one of your top five looking forward to from Essen, did it live up to it? No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I it's so cute. The artwork is the same artist that did all the, the pick a pig, um, pick a dog art. And so it's so super cute. And the buckets are cool. The components really take it up a notch. So I, I really like that. And I really love playing it with the kids. But I don't know if it'll come out with my game group very often but it is a filler and and they do know how to play it now and sometimes we don't know how to pick games so okay here we know this it might get played it's a nice one to stare on your shelf and say i'm glad i have them yeah yeah and and as you know i'm perfectly comfortable with owning a game just because i think it's pretty and it looks good on my shelf 
Well, I will take my transition there and say, how do you feel about the look of Machikoro Harbor versus the gameplay? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh man, this was this is a big disappointment. I'm just going to put yeah. it right out there. Um, so Machikoro, the base game... I liked it. It was fun. It's a perfect gateway game, I think. Um, Family likes it. My game group, my kids like it at the board game club. My group kind of likes it. But, you know, I was really hoping this expansion would give it a little bit more variety and, and, and open up a little bit more strategy. The problem is, is it slows the game down a lot. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> A lot. So if you don't know what the expansion does, basically what you're doing is you're taking some new establishments and and, and it adds some landmarks so you're building more things, um, but you're shuffling all the establishments from the expansion in with the base game, and in order to build the marketplace, uh, you're, you're drawing cards out of this big shuffled deck and creating it that way. I think you put out, what, 10 piles you're supposed yeah. to? So you have 10 different cards available at all times so not every card is available and so it's a little bit harder to get an engine going i thought so it starts off slower and you can have some cards that clog that uh significantly if they're higher higher die face cards and you're not rolling two dice yet no one wants to buy them and they sit there for a while you can replace those cards as they get bought but if they're not getting bought a lot of our turns went Okay, I'm saving money, your turn. Yeah. Roll the dice, get nothing, save money, move on. Roll the dice, get nothing, save money, move on. I I only played this once and we played it today, actually, so it's pretty fresh in my mind, but it's still only a first impression. As we started playing, I thought that exact thought is like, this is just kind of drawing out the game. And I won, I mean, everyone else had two developments left, but I won pretty handedly. I invested heavy into wheat fields and fruit and vegetable markets, which is ones and twelves. And the reason I did that is because I like the mechanic of if you have the harbor and you roll ten, you can add two to it. So if I rolled a ten, which is fairly common, probability is good, I could add two to it and get twelve. And twelve hits fruit and vegetables. So I went for that strategy. I slow played most of the game I thought I was losing. It was drawn out pretty heavily. Then I started getting 48 coins a turn and smacked people in the head, kind of like all of a sudden. People weren't too jazzed about that. Um, and I'm not saying that just to float my boat. I'm saying that to kind of commend the game in theory because I think that it mixes up dominant strategies and it's saying like, okay, every game's going to be different because the market's always going to be changing. But in practice... It just made for a longer game that still ended in the same kind of blowout dominant strategy madness. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I This is rare for my game group in that everybody agreed we were not having enough fun to continue playing. Really? You yeah, stopped? we stopped and packed up the game. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, and and I, I, it was the right decision to make because everybody was miserable and it, we weren't getting anything. It was kind of boring, and we all agreed that we could see that it was eventually going to pick up. It's just that why I don't want to sit there and not have fun for twenty minutes in order for that fifteen minutes to be fun. Like if I the base game is better in that you. You know, you can get a few cards out there and at least have a good percentage of getting something on your roll. And that's essentially the fun of the game is rolling the dice and getting something. And it just it 
after like five or six times of not getting anything and having to, ugh, it was just not enjoyable. And I, and everybody had like was brainstorming tweaks that would make it better. I think yeah. there are definitely some things like even just having 12 piles might fix it, mm-hmm. but you know, just not knowing what's coming out. It, I don't know. I just had, I had, we all had a hard time with it and everybody it agreed they liked the base plan, game. You know, yeah. in a game that's already random enough with the dice. That. time to go ahead and get into some Kickstarter spotlights and some news stories. So we're going to start with a couple of the projects that we've lined up for uh, this week. And Tiff is going to kick it off by telling us a little bit about what's going on with Swing and Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge. Well, Swing and Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge is kind of hovering around 60% um, funding. They end February 5th, so there's still plenty of time. Uh, their backer rewards go from $25 all the way up to, geez, $400, but you can get the base game for 50 I did a review of this, so if you check out Nonsensical Gamers, you'll be able to read all about it. I love this game. I've been playing the prototype over and over and over. I took it out to Cavs uh, last weekend, and I've been playing with my game group. It's really fun, and I'm really hoping it gets funded because they have some amazing things in store as far as the upgraded components go. Right now, it already has amazing martini glasses and cocktail monkeys that you hang off for your scoring. The player aids look like coasters. All the cards that you play have drink recipes on them, and the board art is crazy and awesome. But um, if they hit some of the stretch goals before the end of the campaign, they've got upgraded skull tokens and all sorts of things that I really want to see happen, so... That's Swing and Jive Cat. I'm really hoping they pull together the funding. Yeah, so we, obviously, if you listen to the show regularly, you know we did the interview with David McKenzie recently. Um, if you haven't checked that out, go back and listen to that interview, because it's a really good interview. It gives you some insight into kind of his mind when it comes to Kickstarter and doing these projects. Um, this looks like an awesome game. Now, I haven't gotten to play it yet, but I hear nothing but good things. And people are all over Twitter just talking about how, how great and fun this game is, but it hasn't kind of taken off. And I know it's a long time in the works, so this game has kind of been vetted and playtested for a while now, years even, right? Yeah, like 2011, I think. 2010, 2011. It's been tested for that long, and it really yeah. is good, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I it's quirky, it's colorful, and the gameplay sounds pretty awesome, so... Hopefully this thing can kind of pull together. I don't know that it's going to be hitting zombie side levels anytime soon, but, you know, hopefully it picks up and, and can fund because it sounds like a great game and we're excited about it. I am shocked. I'm just really shocked that it hasn't funded. This is another one. This one um, and... New Bedford. Yeah, New, yeah. This one and New Bedford. Both games that, you know, are coming from people that, you know, we you know personally and like, but also that have been kind of vetted by the community but still don't get funding. So it's interesting to think that Kickstarter's for crowdfunding and yet hearing good things but we're not seeing the money fund the project. So I don't know what's going on with that. What's up, Kickstarter? Huh? What's going on? It's not right. Mm. Go check out Swing and Jive Cat back that thing. 50 bucks for the base game. And you, it is worth your money. So moving right along, another one that's uh, on Kickstarter now from another interview that we did, Mr. Stephen Bonacore. He's got... Space Cadets Awake Mission is finally up, um, and this project will be going through February 20th, and this one is already funded. Um, this is his big minis game that he was talking about, if you listen to our interview. 
Um, a $99 entry level for the base game. This is a kind of retro sci-fi game set within the Space Cadets IP. It's fully cooperative, it's mission-based, so you're running around um, fighting off kind of classic old-school, like, 50s-looking aliens and brains in jars and all kinds of goofy stuff like that. Um, it's loaded with plastic, and it's loaded with cubes and boards and all kinds of good stuff. This is a big production, the biggest they've ever done, actually. Um, and like I said, it has funded. So if you go ahead and back Space Cadets Away missions, you're getting game. Tiff, any interest in this one? I'm going to be honest. Uh, the Space Cadets IP just doesn't exactly do it for me, which is really weird because I'm into the whole retro space sci-fi thing, but I don't know. I think maybe I'm burned down on minis games for the time being. I, you know, I'm feeling more Euro-y these days, so I might just have too much plastic sitting around on my shelves. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I, It's tempting because it comes with so many miniatures, and it looks interesting, but I don't know if... I don't know if I need another miniatures game sitting on my shelf because I can't get anyone to play the ones that I have already. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And that's kind of where, you know, I'm coming from that same mindset. And I know a, a couple people that I've chatted with are doing the same thing. They're kind of waiting and seeing. And it's it's a tempting project. It's coming from Stronghold. Um, I mean, Steve Monacor does a great job betting his games before he puts them out. And this one looks very cool. I love the aesthetic of it. Um, it's just the question of, do I have 100 bucks? to invest in a game that I may or may not really need. Like, this this doesn't fill a hole in my collection. This just kind of piles on top of games that I already have. I don't know. It definitely looks cool, though. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, this seems to be a good way to go if you're looking for a game of this style. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you are needing more miniatures, this is definitely the way to go. They've got a lot of cool, cool sculpts going on. So it's definitely nice. I think I mentioned it, but again ending February 20th, so plenty of time by the time you guys are hearing this to go ahead and back it. Um, it's breaking through stretch goals now, and like I said, you're getting your game, so this is a safe bet. Um, it should be in your hands within this year. Speaking of another safe bet, let's look at this Conan. Holy moly. Yeah, so this is a game that I grabbed and threw in here. I know that, Tiff, you may or may not be interested in this, because this is actually very similar Another kind of semi-co-op, um, dungeon-crawly kind of game, but this is set within the Conan universe. Um, and this is at 1.1, almost $1.2 million already. It's got until February 11th to go, so there's still plenty of time, and another one that's going to be in your hands if you go ahead and back it. This game is coming to backers no matter what. And talk about minis and talk about boards. This game has a ton of stuff in it. So what do you what do you think, Tiff? This is... Pretty much the same, <laughs> like, at least from a what you're getting kind of thing. This is just like Space Cadets. I mean, it's minis and it's boards and it's stuff. But this game's a little bit different in that it's fully co-op versus an Overlord player or versus, like, a console. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I've had so many minis games come in within this last year that I'm just having a hard time justifying more. It looks really nice. I actually really like their custom dice have, like, axes on them, and yeah. the, the Conan universe is interesting and different theme from any of the other miniatures games that I have, but when it comes down to it, it's still kind of dungeon crawly, and um, I don't know. I, I haven't watched the video on this one yet, so... I might watch the video and see what happens there. Yeah, so the two things that kind of drew me to it, because I wasn't looking into this game, but stumbled across it, and um, first the art, I really do like the art 
Um, I'm not a, always a big art guy, but I think that this aesthetic is pretty cool. It's pretty kind of like rugged and kind of like grungy almost. It, it feels very Conan-y. Um, but the second thing is when I watch the video, it's got an interesting like action point system in that you have a stamina allowance and you've got five or six basic actions that you can do. So you can do things like attack or defend or I think it's called manipulation where you like can open doors and chests and you basically spend your points to do certain actions. The more you spend, the more dice or the better you do that action. And then there's a refresh period where you have to like, you have to rest to gain your like little action points back. So it's a unique, as opposed to something like Descent, um, where you can just take two actions every turn. This one seemed like there's a little bit more to the system, um, which is what kind of drew me in, is that it, it wasn't just on my turn I can do one thing or I can do two things. This one was a little bit more kind of flowy, and you had to manage your resources a little bit better. So that's what interested me. But yeah. 90 bucks to 100 bucks to get the game, I don't know if it's that interesting to me. I think I'm just hitting another level of Kickstarter evolution where I'd rather up my pledge to something that's not way over funding. Like, I keep upping my pledge for Swing and Jive Cat because that's a game that deserves to get published. I'm sure that this Conan game is great, and I'm sure that Steven's doing wonderful things with Space Cadets, but, you know, in the spirit of Kickstarter, I think it's more important to look at these well-developed games that, you know, well-known publishers and designers are putting out um, that maybe are kind of on the borderline. Um, I'd rather put my money there at this point. Yeah, and that gets back to our resolutions a little bit. We had chatted a little bit about kind of getting back to basics with Kickstarter and maybe using it for what it's intended for. It's just they're making some of these games make it so enticing. It's tempting. It's tempting. I'm holding strong, though. But as I patiently wait for my Xenoshift onslaught to come from Cool Mini, um, and I know it's going to hit store shelves right when I get my backer copy, I'm becoming a little bit more perturbed about Kickstarter because... I'm backing to help fund a project early, and it's not coming on time. So I'm still in my transition period, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm starting to feel the frustration. But. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I just got Cthulhu Wars, which is something oh, I backed. Yes. Well, I didn't back. It was a gift for me last Christmas. It was and, a gift. Yeah, it was my Christmas you gift last nice year. friends. <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, I do. So I have that coming. I know, um, well, I have the base game now, but I have all the expansions coming, which should be here this spring. So I just, I'm thinking about space right now, and I'm thinking about what I really want to play. And and when I look back last year, I was thinking the thing, the game that got me really excited when I did my top five was Waggle Dance. Like, that was a really small Kickstarter, and it really looked like it wasn't going to have fun for a while. And, you know, I I was really excited about that game. I kind of just want to get back to that feeling where I'm really pulling for a Kickstarter. I'm not pre-ordering something. I mean, all of this stuff will hit stores eventually. It's been funded. It looks fine. I'll get a chance to play this and, and judge that then. If if Swing and Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge doesn't fund, it might not get made. And that would be a travesty. So, I don't know. I feel like I'm on a soapbox right now, but it's just how I'm feeling these days. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is why we're here. Um, <laughs> Well, so that's that's Conan. Um, plenty of time to hop in on that project if it interests you. Go ahead and check that out. It does look pretty cool. So a couple quick mentions, which there's some cool projects going on, and they're kind of the bigger names, and you've probably heard these on other podcasts or if you're kind of in the know or 
uh, on Twitter. You've probably seen these run across your uh, your feeds. Dice Tower Season 11 is funding right now. Dice Tower, if you don't know that name, <laughs> well, I don't know. There's no hope, I guess, for you. But uh, If you're a- listening to us and you don't know that ga- that name, that's amazing. <laughs> If, 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 if that's well, true, you need to send us an email, because I would love to hear from you. Yes, if you listen to us and you don't know who the Dice Tower is, or what it is, don't Google it, because you won't listen to us anymore. <laughs> um, so their season 11 is up on Kickstarter right now. That's ending February 1st, so by the time you're hearing this, very limited time, but still enough time to hop in and help them um, fund for another year. Tiny Epic Galaxies from Gamelin Games, the third installment of the Tiny Epic series, is up, and that's funded a couple times over. That is ending February 7th. Um, for those of you who think that possibly it's just a rehash of the old ones, it's actually not. It's a, a, like a dicey Euro game. It's pretty new um, in terms of mechanics, so it looks interesting. It's 16 bucks to grab. Um, I may actually be backing it. I haven't decided yet, but there's still some time left on that. The Run, Fight, or Die big box is up now, and I didn't even know about this, but Tiff, you're grabbing this, right? Yeah, well, Run, Fight, or Die also was in my top five. I mean, Richard Lanius, I just, I support that guy and everything yeah. he does. And um, Matt pointed out to me that they actually have a Swingin' Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge promo location card that's coming with this. So, I don't know. Just the mention of <laughs> Jive Cat Voodoo Lounge, that's, that's worth it to me um but and and also i've kind of like scrunched all of those miniatures into some tiny tiny boxes it really does need this big box so i've backed Uh, it yeah it makes sense oh i don't know if dan's gonna hop on it but i'd like to see i'd like to see the voodoo lounge promo i think that sounds cool i love i love it when games have references to other games that's i i love the meta of that i'm such a nerd but (laughs) Um, so that one ends on January 31st, so another one that has a slim time from the time you're hearing this, just a, a few days left, but you can still hop in on that. One that I am tempted by just inappropriately. <laughs> that sounds weird. Inappropriately? Go on. I'm tempted by it, but it's, I really shouldn't be, is the Draco Magi art prints and promo cards. Um, this project will end on February 9th, and it has funded... But basically, the artist who did Draco Magi for Robert Burke, um, this two-player card game, he's got some awesome, stellar-looking dragon cards. If you haven't seen them, go check it out. Um, he did some new promo cards and is selling some posters that you can get, so you can get big art prints of these really good-looking dragons. And I, I don't know, do I need dragon posters? I'm not sure. Well, I haven't crossed that line yet. I don't have, like, wolves howling at the moon yet, but... <laughs> Well, you're a poster guy, and these are some pretty nice prints, I gotta say. I mean, that was one of the main reasons I I dragged, I backed uh, Draco Magi, because the art was just stellar, so these would be really cool to have hanging on your wall, and and interesting, and a conversation starter, so I think you should. You should look at it. They're very stylized. They don't look too, I don't know, they look pretty nerdy. (laughs) They look good. <laughs> also, if you just have the game and you want some promos, you can get some promo cards, which I'm also interested in, because I tried to play the game, and I liked it, although I'm still like sorting through the rules and things like that, but it's cool, and I wouldn't mind having some extra promos. I have it, too. Could we Skype that? Yeah, we should be able to Skype that. 
Let's put they that on the burks. Any, uh... Yeah, why haven't we Skyped that? Let's Skype that. Okay, now that we got that covered. Yeah, I'll make a note. If anybody wants to Skype Draco Magi with us, <laughs> just let us know. And the last project, a quick mention that we have, is the expansion to Exodus Proxima Centauri, which is called the Edge of Extinction. Um, this is also funded. This project will end on February 5th. And this is by NSKN Games, who are over in Romania, I think. They are the guys who did Progress, Evolution of Technology. They also did uh, Praetor, I think, and Versailles, which just came out. Uh, but this is an expansion introducing six um, asymmetric powers and races to the base game of Exodus Proximus Centauri, which is a 4X space exploration game. It's actually one that I'm really interested in. Um, you can grab the expansion for 45 bucks or get both for 105 They also had a package for 225 bucks. You could get all the games that they ever made, which is oh. five or six games. And I was like, man, that's not bad. But they sold out. So <laughs> wow. but that project's up on Kickstarter. And uh, if you're looking for a Space 4X game, which sometimes I am, it might be worth checking out because it's supposed to be pretty good. I heard that one was good. Yeah. So those were just some quick mentions, things to check out, but things that we didn't need to go terribly in-depth in depth with. Tiff, any other projects that are on your mind? No, that pretty well covers it. A lot on Kickstarter right now. Yeah, some big names, some smaller names, but definitely a lot of stuff. We went through a slump in like December and early January, but I think it's starting to pick back up with some, some pretty good projects to check out. So head on over there. All right, so that is Kickstarter, and now we can chat about a few news stories. Um, a couple of these have come out in the last week or two, and the first of is the news out of Greater Than Games. You know they're still making games? Can you believe that? Oh, yeah. Well, Sentinels of the Multiverse is not dead. Sentinels is so huge. People are just, people love collecting everything for that game. Everybody I know that owns that game has everything for it. Yeah. Including um, me, so... I played it, like, 20 minutes ago. Okay. So, I literally ended a game of Sentinels. We lost, by the way, uh, like, five minutes before this recording. Um, so I'm kind of I'm kind of jazzed to hear about some new, some new Sentinels stuff. I'm a little addicted, but... <laughs> anywho, what's actually coming out is they have a new um, expansion for the card game, which is called Villains of the Multiverse, which seems like they're kind of... Biting off of Legendary a little bit, flipping things and going with the villain's angle. I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, I'm cool with that. I think that playing some of these uh, some of these villains, they've got unique personalities, and I'd be interested to, to get behind the wheel and kind of steer them against the heroes. Um, so that'll be coming out. Then there's also two new expansions for the Miniatures game, which I don't have that? as much interest in. What did you say, Ted? said, have you played that? I haven't. Have you? No. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews. Hmm. I don't know any. I don't know that I know anyone that's played it. I just, I was curious about it, but yeah, the price point's not bad. I mean, like they, they have reasonably priced games. I give them a lot of credit for Absolutely. like they pack a lot of stuff in their packages um, for like the thirty forty dollar price point. But I haven't really been on tactics because I'm more of a card game guy anyway. But those two expansions, there's Battle for Broken City and For Profit, and they will both be using the Sentinels Tactics Miniature System. So if you want to read a little bit more, you can go over to nonsensicalgamers.com and check out Dan's news post that he put out this past week. Um, there's a little bit more information about that, but you can also go on to their website, Greater Than Games, 
and pre-order these. All three of these games will be coming out this year. And I believe there's a triple package where if you pre-order all of them, you'll get a discount and some promos. And all three of them will come to you at the same time if they want some shipping. I like so, that they're running that cool. through their own website. Yeah, no more Kickstarter. They're, they're kind of, I think they've got a, a loyal enough fan base for Sentinels that they don't have to worry too much about the crowdfunding. So another news story, just in passing, is the announcement that El Grande, the 1996 Spielish Yards winner, is being republished, reprinted for its 20th anniversary from Dutch publisher uh, 999 Games. So the reprint of this game, this is an area control game. But yeah, so the the big thing about this game is that it will include all of the expansions that have all of the expansions that have been produced for this game so far, plus an additional anniversary expansion that is special. Um, no release date has been set, but this is something to keep an eye on if you haven't had a chance to play El Grande yet, or if you know a reprint, a big box of this is something that interests you. So. I think this has piqued Dan's interest, so this might end up on our tabletop soon enough. So you can just stay, stay tuned, and you'll know whether or not Dan's going to wrap it. A couple other small news stories. Gen Con badges are officially available, and as of this recording, housing is not so available. <laughs> uh, Tiff, are you heading to Gen Con this year? Yeah. Do you have plans for where you're going to live? Probably going to be days? sleeping in someone's bathtub at this point. <laughs> Word is that it was a bit of a mess. Um, people generally are kind of cranky around Gen, Gen Con housing time, um, but this year was the introduction of a random lottery system that did not kind of honor longtime goers. So Gen Con, the organizers were in a tough spot between kind of who to play favorites to, and they had to go with just kind of we'll give it to whoever lottery style. What I do know is that Dan managed to get a room, so... If he hasn't given this up to Tiff and cool people like Ben Finchback and Matt Riddle, then maybe I'll get to sleep on the floor or something? <laughs> um, like I did during Origins? I don't know. We'll see if he'll take me. So. Yeah, he was lucky enough to get a room, and I know a few people that did, so there are some people that aren't as cranky. I just think it's like a stressful time for everyone, but there it's like a lose-lose situation for the people that uh, organize this. I don't think there's any really great way to do it, and, and hotels are always, you know, booked pretty quickly, so hopefully everybody's able to find a place to stay. Yeah, I think that mostly it's just those really close hotels. There are shuttle systems, there's taxis, so if you didn't get a room. I think there's still plenty of hope. Indianapolis is a big city and there's places to stay. It's just convenience purposes and being close to kind of the life of the convention. So, but if not, then you can carpool with me because I'll probably be sleeping on a bench in the airport. We're so, just, n- don't sleep or well, shower. Yes, that's the trick too. Don't leave the convention <laughs> hall. Get a group and take incremental naps. Like Dan, you'll nap during this game of Eclipse and then I'll nap during this game. So... <laughs> They won't yell at you for sleeping. There are ways um, to work that out for sure. Yeah. And if you're going to Gen Con, I mean, it's a little bit early to be putting this shout out there, but, you know, contact us because we'll have some people there on the floor and we'd love to play some games and, and hang out with people. The last news story we have is just a small look into Asmo Day. So there's been talk, if you've kept up with the news um, outside of our podcast, about Asmodee potentially accruing or buying Pearl Games and how do you pronounce this tip? Is it Istari? Istari? Istari. Istari Games. Um, So there was 
talk floating around because last year they acquired Days of Wonder and FFG about kind of Asmodee buying up more companies. Well, they put out kind of a correction about how it's actually more of a partnership as opposed to a buyout. And what I found most interesting from the news story, and you can find this link in our show notes, was actually kind of an in-depth look into the Asmodee market. So if you're interested in kind of looking at how Asmodee is kind of set up as a business and even some of the history behind them, there's some really nice infographics to kind of give you the background on what I think is now one of the biggest companies in the board and hobby. Um, so if you just like to be in the know from these kinds of things or you're interested in some of the moves that Asmodee has made, this is a cool place to go and it's really user-friendly to kind of just take a look and, and get some information on Asmodee and kind of what they've been up to. And that is all we have for the news. Tiff, anything else going on in your life news-wise? No, I think I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> How's your day? Please. Is that what we want to know? Okay. All right, so we are going to go ahead and take a break, and when we come back, we'll be joined by the Fleebles, Ben Pinchback and Matt Riddle, uh, to talk to them about some of their upcoming game releases and just what's going on with them. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back. Um, we're happy to be joined by two really cool dudes. Um, they go by the names Matt Riddle and Ben Pitchback. You may know them for their games uh, Fleet and what else? Fleet Arctic Bounty and uh, Eggs Empires. Sorry, I don't know why I forgot that. It's one of my favorite games of 2014. So, Thanks, welcome man. guys. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing awesome. Good to be here. They work so much together that they say the same thing at the same time. <laughs> Shut up. It's so cute. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to be on the same screen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so That's the common popular belief. We are two people. They share one body. <laughs> They're two heads. They share one body. Different houses, wives, families, the whole thing. Against what? all odds. Oh, who knew, right? They're like, they're like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence from Bad Boys 1 through 3. It was a third one. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Which one had Dan Marino? Two or three? That was the turn. No, no, no. One of the bad boys had Dan Marino too. It it's like there's literally a Cadillac commercial in the middle of the movie. Where Will Smith is driving the car and Dan Marino's sitting in the back seat. He's like, "You should buy this car, Dan Marino." I swear to God, it's in one. It's in a bad boys movie. He's like driving through. Okay. I'm just saying. I'm I'm sure look that up. wasn't his music video for Wild Wild West. <laughs> I, I wouldn't know. Listen, bad. I'm telling you, Dan Marino was in one of the bad boys movies. All right. <laughs> no, no one cares about me. With it. <laughs> IMDb, there was only two people in Bad Boys Three, and it was Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. So <laughs> I don't know. It is Bad Boys Two. Ha. Anyway. Bad Boys Two. Thanks, Google. Yeah, I, I, literally an awful scene. Whatever. Let's move on. I was just thinking you had a really good dream. That's all. <laughs> All right, so yeah, getting on like the uh, the synchronized talking and the living so close together, everything. So, how far do you guys go back? Uh, what's kind of the backstory with your friendship here? Because you guys obviously are prolific designers together and everything. So, I'm just curious, what's what's the backstory with the uh, the man the man romance? So, I've known Matt since I was 12. Wow. So. That's a lot of years. That's 23 years. Man. So, yeah, we've known each other 23 years now. 
That's that's pretty crazy. Um, yeah. Did he know that you knew him? <laughs> <laughs> I've been stalking him for 23 years. Now he's a few years older than me, so we grew up in the same uh, like school system, same church, and the whole thing. So like he was a couple grades ahead, and like I just remember at our church youth group, we kind of met playing basketball and sports and stuff. You wouldn't know it looking at Matt now, but he's actually a pretty good athlete, or you know. There's an athlete you buried in here somewhere. Somewhere buried in there is a pretty good athlete. So we, we actually met playing sports and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, over 20 years. I haven't actually thought of that. That's crazy. That is. That's a big number. Yeah, I mean, we went As to, many years as I am old. Uh-huh. Give or take. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I mean, we did, like Ben said, really, it was, we're from a relatively small town. So I'm, I, I moved out from uh, the mean streets of a Detroit suburb out to uh, Oxford here, and like Ben said, we kind of grew up in the same church youth group, so his brother is a year older than me, so I kind of knew Ben and his brother growing up, and, you know, as we kind of, we both went to the same college after, you know, high school, again, Ben being something years behind me, we both went to Michigan Tech, and then kind of, you know, whatever, we just stayed friends with all the guys we went to school with, and then got into this game stuff, you know, whatever, five, six years ago now, so it's pretty awesome. Yeah, we were like most other people. We played poker a lot when the poker, you know, craze was going on. And uh, Matt bought the heavy chips when they were expensive, you know, like whatever. So played a lot of poker. And then, I don't know, Matt or somebody bought Settlers of Catan. And from there, it was just downhill slide. And next thing you know, you own 100 games, you know. And then we just started designing one just because we thought it'd be fun, you know. Now, did this church youth group, did this save you from the mean streets of nine, or not nine mile, eight mile? I can't even get my movies in room right. right. I, <laughs> it's funny to say now because Ferndale is by no means a bad neighborhood. I didn't grow up in the ghetto. We didn't have any money, but like I could, you know, I could like hit a golf ball to eight mile if we played golf in the ghetto, which we didn't. So the, uh, you needed that golf club. <laughs> but I wasn't in a bad neighborhood at all, but no, we just, you know, I was like, we, so youth group was a just way when I got out here to Oxford because even when you switch grades in middle school and you got to make friends and I was like a fat shy nerd I wasn't fat back then I was kind of a dopey shy nerd so you know figured youth was a safe place to uh, meet new people instead of I think we all did that growing up so how did you guys decide to get into designing games I mean is this something that just kind of piqued your interest and I know you both are like really intelligent like engineering type dudes and you love designing things begin with that's like your day job correct um so it's just it's just a natural fit for you to kind of get into the game design aspect of things i think as we started to grow past like that said we did the classic story of settlers and then you know found characters on our power grid and then it kind of just exploded as we began to play you know more and more games we played with a group of work guys from work that are very all engineers very analytical so we kind of naturally were analyzing games as we play them um, the actual story, though, honestly, is, you know, uh, Ben could fill in the department. He had an idea one morning on the way to work, and he stopped by my desk on the way to his desk, grabbed the in there for a little bit, and said, hey, so we're, uh, we're going to design a board game. I said, okay, I'm in, sure, why not? You know, and uh, so we talked about it for a couple minutes, and then that lunch, he started showing me all his notes and all the stuff he scribbled down, like, with the, in his car. And the, the, the original idea for Fleet was the, you know, like, the licenses with the different powers, the different tiers, and... Oh, that's that was the genesis. It's just been making that decision and inviting me on. So I'm, you know, as they say, yeah. Matt's kind of like the arch, my arch nemesis at game. Like he's the other strong gamer that, like, if I'm not gonna win, 
probably winning. And that's not being arrogant. That's just kind of how it goes, right? So when the whole process started, it just made sense to bring Matt in because I knew he first I knew he'd be interested because he's always wanted to be creative. Like we wrote a movie that was horrible just for fun with our other buddy, and like we've always had that creative itch. So I knew he'd be interested, and then I, I knew he'd have a lot to offer. So I, it, I didn't even really think about it. It was just like, oh, no matter, gonna do that game now. So I didn't ask him. I just kind of told him, hey, we're making a game now. He's like, all right, show me what you got. And Fleet was born. Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. So Fleet first game, obviously the big money maker. That's what do bills. Um, it's probably more profitable than fishing, correct? <laughs> Barely. <laughs> <laughs> by a few dollars so obviously it's, it's personally one of my favorite tableau building games um, love the mechanics in it it's so simple it's very streamlined love the choice between spending the cards in your hand for you know, purchasing the licenses versus using them to captain the ships I, I think you guys did a really great job there it's, it's enough balance in the decision making but it's also simple enough that you can we brought my mom in my little brother who's had a lot of people to play it so was that like the goal you guys were aiming for with fleet was this something you have to be approachable or did you guys want to hit it more for the gamer types well thanks for that dan you know the funny part is is the multi-use for the cards like we were we were so new into gaming we actually thought that was an original idea at the time <laughs> if we hadn't played glory to rome yet we hadn't played San Juan, like all these games where you do multiple things with cards, we hadn't even played. So we, we honestly thought we were onto something new. We're like, hey, the cards do three things. I mean, it's crazy. You know, people love it. Um, the people do love it, but not because it's new. It's because they like doing that. They like games where you have a choice if a card is money or if it's a boat or if it's a captain. Like that, that's actually familiar to people, and they, you know, that's a comfort spot for a lot of people is the hand management so i think we kind of stumbled into that which was really cool but to answer the question i think we always made it for a slightly heavier crowd because that's the kind of games we like is the heavier like 90 minute euro so i think that was the goal was it was going to give you that you know euro feel but in a 30 to 45 minute card game that was that was one of the goals i'm always a little surprised by most people we hear so much, oh, yeah, this is a great game, you know, my dad, my uncle, my... Because it is, I mean, once someone knows it, um, it is relatively easy to teach. The turns are relatively simple. You know, it's what you're doing sort of makes sense, and I think that that uh, works for people. But, you know, it can be a pretty big low the first time you learn it, like if you're going from the rule book, especially. So I'm always really happy, actually, in retrospect, because like Ben said, I'm not sure we really set out to make a game. I'm not sure we set out to make a game or the other, but we definitely assumed it was going to be a heavier game because that's what we play. And it is definitely a heavier card game, and I think that's why it was, frankly, so successful. There's a ton of card games released every year, you know, hundreds, thousands, whatever it is. And many of them, which, you know, we look to, are, say, like, kind of like Eggs and Empires, that tend to be a little bit on the older side. It's not. Heavier, it's thinky, there's some big decisions you do, you make throughout the course of the game. So I'm, I'm always excited here that people introduce it to their sort of slightly non-gamer friends and family because it definitely wasn't something I envisioned happening and I think I think it's cool I mean I'm glad that people that can enjoy the different levels of gaming so you guys had mentioned um, how this was your first game and it's relatively new you know the concept of designing a game not having played a lot of games so from a new designer standpoint now you guys have become 
pretty prolific, if I might say so myself. It seems like you guys are designing a new game every couple months. What have you learned that's kind of helped you going forward as far as maybe from even from the publishing side of things? Do you gear your games towards you know, what you like, or do you gear it towards maybe a specific publisher? Because I know, for instance, you got a lot of games with Eagle, for instance. So is it something that you're looking... Does that factor into your decisions when you're, you're designing? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, we, the reason we're with Eagle so much right now is because we have a very good relationship with them. I mean, they're open. You know, no matter who you are as a designer, it's really, really hard the first time because you're no one knows, not that people know who we are now, but people sort of know who we are now, even within the game industry. So it's difficult to kind of get to that first door, get that first door open. So, you know, we did the, you know, thousands or not thousands of iterations, dozens of emails, you know, to every company we thought, you know, we didn't really know who would want to or who wouldn't want to leave when we started. We just did everybody. <clears throat> and Griffin was the first one to kind of respond, one of the first couple. We actually had a few responses all in the same time frame. And uh, Griffin responded and, and accepted it, obviously, and called in awesome since then. And because of Fleet, I think, because honestly, A, it was successful. B, Ben and I are pretty easy guys to work with. I mean, we're, you know, we make sure we get what we want, and we're demanding the sense that we want to make sure that the product is the best, but Griffin does a nice product anyway, so it's not really a problem. So we've been able to kind of have a really good relationship with them, and all that stuff has kind of allowed us to sort of, you know, I don't know, I guess we jump ahead of the pack, so to speak, with Griffin. So we know that if we send them a game that we think we is a good fit, that they're going to look at it. You know, as opposed to, say, going into the six-month queue like a lot of games go with other publishers. And then because of the success of Fleet, it's opened the door to other publishers even kind of knowing who we are enough to sort of, uh, you know, at least talk to us or take submissions from us, which, again, is, we don't take that li lightly at all. We understand that it's very, very difficult to sort of make that first step. And once you do, it gets quite a bit easier. So as far as designing for a publisher, I don't think we do that. I do think we, um, as we begin designing games, as we begin to, you know, Ben and I are always, we've always said this, we're very mechanic-oriented. So generally a game idea is mechanics first, and then we'll begin to sort of look at themes and look at presentation as we kind of move through the process, with a couple exceptions, like Master Strike Mayhem being one of those. <clears throat> Sorry. So as we kind of go through that process and we get to the end, we begin to say, okay, what makes sense for this game? and which publishers we think were the most likely to be interested in this game. And the reason we do that is simply because we don't want to waste anybody's time. And we know that certain publishers look for certain types of things, and if you have a lighter game, then maybe it's more geared for the publisher that does family kind of stuff, and if it's a heavier game, then you're not going to send it to you know certain publishers either. So while I don't think you should design for a publisher, I do think as a designer, and if you're going to begin submitting your game, you should make sure that the publisher you're talking to makes sense for the game that you're presenting. Because otherwise, they're just going to dismiss it immediately anyway. So do a little research, see if you know, what they generally kind of publish. And it's, it's frankly tough on this side of the pond, you know, because a lot of American publishers, the guys you're going to meet at Gen Con or stuff, are just going to bring games in from, you know, from Germany and from overseas. So you kind of have to, you know, sort of just really pick your audience the best that you can. I think and that's that, that's the advice I guess I would give. So to answer another part of the question too, like what kind of games? Do we work on? I think to this point, we've kind of made the games we want to play. And I don't know if that's the right or wrong answer, but it's worked for us so far. Um, you know, with Fleet, it was we, we really want to do this card game that's a heavier, you know, Euro card game that'll be, you know, 40 minutes. And then with Eggs and Empires, it was, you know, Matt saying, I want to do a, you know, a blind bid, you know, for sale type game that you can teach in three minutes. And, and 
and with monster trucks, it was me watching my kids play with monster trucks and thinking, they're, hey, there's no monster truck game. Like, we got we to gotta do this quick, you know. And I don't think there's a right answer, it, but for us, thankfully, uh, the games that we want to play, um, other people have wanted to play them too. So there's probably a lot of luck in that, but um, I think it comes from playing a lot of the games too. Like, you know, you guys play a ton of games, um, and so do we. So I think we have a feel that where there might be, um, I think it was uh, Mike Elliott, I think it was a podcast I was listening to. He said my favorite thing um, over the last couple of years was to find the white space. So that means, like, find the area that has some opportunity still that nobody has done it quite that way yet. And that was him talking about when he did Thunderstone. So he loved Dominion, but the white space was a deck builder in a fantasy setting, like a dungeon, you know, deck builder. That was white space for him. So, so you know, we've thought a lot that way, right? Like, okay, we want to play this type of game. Where's the white space? How can we do it just slightly different than what's out there to kind of make our own? And that has worked really well for us the last couple of years. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, we have some advantage because we, you know, like kind of like you said, Dan, we are... Because we're a team, I think, somewhat prolific compared to some other designers where we do we get things done faster because there's two, two of us working on things at different times. So once we have this once we have an idea that we think is worth pursuing or worth designing around, then we begin having those conversations like Ben said, okay, well, we know we want to do this and this in this game, but where you know, where is something that maybe because nothing there's nothing new in the world, right? It's all been done before to some extent. But like Ben said, you find that space or that that twist or that that little kind of nugget that makes your game different, better, whatever the appropriate word might be, and we tend to work towards them. So if we want to keep this game, you know, we set some design parameters. We want this game to be quick. We want this game to be 30 minutes or 40 minutes. We want this game to have fast turns. We want this game to be, you know, 10 plus, 12 plus, whatever it might be. Whatever parameters we decide that we want to design around. Now that doesn't, we don't do that to say stump our, our, our you know, or set limits on our creativity. We're gonna let the game do what the game wants to do as we design it, but we use that as a way to sort of guide ourselves you know what we think the game is going to be based on what we think that it's doing when we begin that process. And it's just a way to, like Ben said, just you do our best job of finding something new and different, not just rehashing things that have been done before. But what yeah. you said, I just want to piggyback for 30 more seconds. Um, there is a lot of creativity and limitations. Mm-hmm. So if we start a game and we know this game has to be 40 minutes or less, and we just know the type of game it is, it's not going to be successful if it's an hour. Well, that's actually, it's very creative to have to work in those constraints. And if you know it's a good constraint, you start problem solving and you think of things you might never have thought of, you know, when you're trying to keep the game under that constraint. So, you know, if, if you're stuck, if you're a designer and you're stuck, maybe start thinking that way. Like, um, you know, time, how long should the game take, components, uh, how much should the game cost? Like, you, you don't want to start with all those constraints, but if you get to a point and you need a little inspiration, start thinking logically, like, what do I want the final product to be? And if I'm not hitting that mark, maybe there's some good ideas I could come up with to kind of get me back into that zone where I think I should be. Now, is that something that you guys used in your current designs? Because I know I've heard, you know, in other interviews that like Eggs and Empires was kind of born out of having a for sale type of game. Now, is that what kind of limitations did you guys place on yourselves in your previous designs to kind of spur that creativity? I think with Eggs and Empires, it was, you know, I, I kind of I think Ben and I told the story in written form 
you know, all our family and friends were awesome, and they backed Philippe and they bought Philippe. A lot of them never played Philippe, um, frankly, because it was just kind of hard. And again, I know you guys were talking earlier about how it can be enjoyed by, by kind of a lighter group to some extent, but the reality of it is, if you're truly a an entry level casual gamer, it's probably a step beyond what you're looking for. So when we just when I kind of had this idea that I began talking about, the first thing we always do is talk as much as we can, but the quicker we can get components put in place and try it, that's the better, the better off we are. So we'll just jibber jabber and fight and argue for hours and not get anything done. So we need to get a prototype and start playing. We, from the beginning, determined that that game had to be one that you could truly teach quickly and truly be understood by anybody. And I think we set that tenet in place with Exit Empires and we stuck to it. We wanted a game that all our family and friends that back fleet and never played it and put it on top of Monopoly or Pictionary in their closet could actually play it. And for me... It was like a, a group of, of that we have in my um, you know, my family. My wife's family is non is a non gamer family, and my mother in law and my nieces and nephews, and they're just not fairly interested. They're interested, but they just don't have a high. You know, they, they're not interested in something really heavy. They want to just kind of have fun. So when I tested it with them, it just went really really well, and we knew that we were onto something in the, to the point where we could you know keep this game very easy to keep. Because the reality of it is, you can play the game almost without having any concept of the powers. 10 is better than 9 is better than 8, right? You play a number and get a number. And that's a very simple concept. The powers add a level of complexity and strategy to it, but you can play, frankly, without that step. You know, just sort of play out of your hand and play a higher number or a lower number and still have a good time. So that was the primary thing we stuck to with Asian Empires. Keep it as quick as possible, keep it under 30 minutes, and keep it so that we can teach, truly teach anybody. Awesome. And you mentioned two things that were I found curious. So you talked about... And this is probably well known. Anyone who knows you and Ben, Steam is not your your, not your strong suit. <laughs> you guys are mechanics first, um, and Steam second. But then you also touched upon the the different marketplaces. So you've got the Euro heavy, Euro centric kind of European and foreign market versus, I guess, and I don't want to label the United States market, but it's it's very much got a reputation for the Ameritrash, the, the, the theme-first kind of games. So have you guys found that it's it's conflicting as far as yourselves being American designers? Has that kind of been any kind of barrier to entry for you with any of the publishers or anything as far as your designs are concerned? I think that there's a movement that I don't like with the American publishers, and we've heard this from a couple now, that their inclination is to publish European designs as ports because they've already been, you know, by the time a game gets released by Hans and Gluck or Aaliyah, they know it's been tested and developed and it's good. So why should they waste their time and effort developing a game from me and Ben, you know, or who, any American designers, frankly. So and I had this rant, and I don't know, some people have already heard it, so I'm not going to completely rehash it, but I find that a little annoying, a little frustrating. I understand it, um, and what, I think one way we counteracted that was that we're working on a design with John Gilmore, you know, Mr. Dead of Winter. So we figured, you know what, we can do thematic, right? Why not? You know, but not hard, guys. So how hard can it be? Well, it's pretty hard as it turns out, but we're making progress and we're working on it. And I do think it's difficult, you know, and it's going to continue to be difficult for, say, us. You know, when I say us, I mean, like you said, Dan, American-born game designers, even some that have had success like Ben and I have, to kind of continue, you know, doing what we're doing. And I think we're going to keep making euros, but part of our strategy is to try to sell them to the German companies first, Unless they come this way as opposed to the other way around. Um, 
But I do think it's going to be difficult because I think there's a, there's a sense of, you know, these companies that have been successful over here, these American-based companies, don't need American-based Euro designs. And that's that's going to be tricky, I think. So we're going to have to, have to just keep working. I think what we're going to continue doing is designing games that are interesting to us. And, you know, even like our new game, Folding Market, that we're going to, you know, that's coming on Kickstarter in a couple weeks here, is a Euro, but it's not a... It's a polytool dice, and there's, there's speculation or gambling almost, and it's a very it's a very different kind of game, and I think that's what we're going to try to do at least with our designs as often as we can is just give them a differentiating factor that we can sell. Because when you're doing that pitch and you're sitting at Gen Counter Origins, they want to know why is this game any different than anything I can get from you know awesome guys like Feld and Uva and all those guys that do ten amazing games a year. Why should your why is your game different or better or, or unique? Right. So, so I there. just want to piggyback on what you're saying because it's a really good question, Dan. Um, you know, me and Riddle could design. Well, we probably couldn't, but let's just say we design the next ninety minute dry euro that's as good as a Steffenfeld. Well, we pitch this to this publisher, and they basically, you know, would tell us, why would I do your game? If I want that game, I can go to Matthias Kramer, Feld himself, and like five other, Wolfgang Kramer, uh, you know, any of these guys that are a hundred times more well-known than you guys are, and just get that game and bring it over. So, it's, we spent the last couple of years being a little frustrated because we designed a few euros that we really believed in. We thought they were on par with, you know, anything that's out there. We really, really liked them. But two relatively obscure Americans, like, there's just not a lot of market for, you know, a dry euro from us. So the thought was you've got to have something that differentiates yourself. Like, if you want to be in that space, you've got to have a hook. you got to do with, like... See what Scott Alms is doing, right? You know, his hook is small box, you know, big game in a small box, and that's genius. Um, and then, like, what we're trying to do with floating markets. So what we thought is we'll do a Euro with, you know, those multi-sided polyhedral nerd dice, and, um, and that maybe will be different enough to get people's interest and get people excited about not just another Euro, but something to differentiate ourselves to, to get noticed, really. And, and I think, like Ben said, I mean, I... My art, my favorite design by us, and it, and it may it may get published because it's you know we we went to Griffin Games with it saying, listen guys, this game is just really good. We promise. Now it's a ten year old feeling tile laying euro. Does anyone want a tile laying euro anymore? Because there's a million of them. But this one's really really good. We swear. And not saying it feels like it's an old game, but it has the feel of those games, those Kinesias and stuff. From or, you know, like some of the even like Ben said with Kramer and Glenmore things like that, it has the feeling of a game that you know that sort of classic piling, somewhat abstract Euro, and it's just a really truly great game. It, it, I, I honestly, I promise that it is, and we're hoping you know because again, working with Eagle Griffin's been great for us. We pitched it to them; they're interested; they're going to try it, things like that. But that's a game we could never take anywhere else because we had that relationship with Eagle Griffin. It's allowed us to sort of bring that game in the door. And once it's there with Eagle Griffin, then it has a chance to get played and enjoyed and a chance to be successful. But to Ben's point, no one else, none of the European companies, none of the Z-Mans or any of those awesome other companies are ever going to take that game from us because they don't need it. So that's something that we're really cognizant of and working really hard to make sure that our designs you know, are, are special, I guess, for lack of a better word, as often as we can. Just to make, you know, just so we can continue doing this. We enjoy it. It's uh, you know a little bit of money you know that we don't need, but it's fun to get, and uh, you know, I really enjoy the creative process. I mean, I think Ben nailed a couple of questions ago. I was never a creative guy. I'm an engineer by trade. 
you know, I do, I, I like my job, it's good, I love my daughters and my wife, and we hang out, but I never had a creative outlet, you know, that I really felt passionate about, and this game design has been that outlet. You know, I don't play music like Tiffany does, or anything cool, so, you know, I just needed something I could do that, uh, you know, kind of get those juices flowing. Well, I do, I do have a question in terms of, like, just kind of building off of that, it's like, how much, you say you, you guys have obviously made some great games, and games that you're interested in, but how much kind of that is that underlying feeling of like we're just trying to build a name? Like to some extent, is it is it twofold? Is it we want to build games that we love, but we also want to build a name so that we can do what we want to do? Yes. Okay. So yeah, that's a great question, Matt. <laughs> we have been trying. Yeah, like I was saying, we have been trying to make the baby steps for for four or five years, and it's a very targeted specific effort sometimes on our part like if you go back to our first origins when we knew nobody like we'd never even met our publisher in person and me and matt walk in we know nobody in the building uh, for instance you see this crew walk around with dice hate me shirts on and they seem really cool and we remember seeing them on kickstarter and they're like wow those look like cool guys and you know that we want to hang around like we should get to know them so we started stalking them like, <laughs> I should probably become their friends, and like th these are people we should know, and they seem like a company we want to work with. So, fast forward three years later, you know, we had a game that was was a click, it was a fit, and and now we're going to be working with them. So, that's the type of things that we talk about and think about constantly, and we're always trying to to get in with the person to get to the next level, and know, hey, maybe if we can know this person and get to there, and like. I'm not as good at that. I'm more of a introvert, but but Riddle is fantastic at it. Like he's just a shameless promoter. He'll talk to anybody. Um, he's kind of a secret weapon. He's really good at that. It's thanks. It's um. I mean, there's an angle too. I mean, again, because we enjoy it, it allows us to have those conversations about how we take what is a hobby and what's something that we enjoy, and that monetize it for the sake of greed, but. Because it's something that, you know, of course we'd love to do this full time, or we'd love to do this for a living, or we'd love to have the next ticket to ride and have and get to stop working. I mean, I like my job. I don't love my job. Ben kind of likes his job, but it pays him good. I mean, you know, we, we both work at the same company, um, and we both get paid, frankly, very well. Our wives both work in education, one college, one kindergarten, different ends of the spectrum, but they both, you know, so I have no complaints about my life, and I know Ben doesn't either. And... You know, we have financial freedom and stability, and, and it's great. And it's allowed, you know, the idea that I can ever retire to do this or retire by doing this um, to be a dream that can stay there while I work my nine to five. And so, because I think we're able to sort of, you know, keep those things separate, like we're not designing games to make money, but there is a dream that we get to design games for a living. And it's a very small, 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 small group that never gets to do that. And we may never achieve it but we're enjoying the chance to try to get there. So I think, Matt, well, to answer your question, I think we do, you know, do our best to sort of uh, not, not only build our name, um, I think there is value in that, though I'm not sure how much value. I mean, it depends on who you ask. Like I said, it's definitely gotten easier to get in door places now that we're sort of somebody, but according to publishers, I think it's a bit of a lie. They claim, like, well, we don't care if you're Martin Wallace. If your game isn't any good, we don't want it. Well, that's only sort of true. It's kind of a half-truth, in my opinion. Um... So clearly that's yeah, cool. Just look at Amazonas. That got published. Exactly. <laughs> look at Amazonas. The worst game I've ever played. I was going to say the same thing. Really? <laughs> I love Dora. He's I like my second favorite designer of all time. 
He is. He's so great. He made Turn the Tide and For Sale the two best card games I've ever played in my entire life. And then he made Amazonas, which is a complete dumpster fire. So, I mean, take it for what it's worth. It just, it, the game is terrible. I don't, I don't want to rant down Amazonas again. I got in trouble on BGG for that. But, but the point is, we love to do this full time if we ever could. It may never happen, but we're going to keep trying. So that's, you know, that's always sort of this overriding, you know, I'm, I'm making hand motions like you guys can see them. Oh, you guys can see them, but the listeners can't see them. That's always our overriding sort of goals is the idea that you could do something that we truly enjoy doing that we're going to do anyway, whether we ever truly get to retire off it or not. We're going to keep plugging away and who knows. I think you guys should consider a name change. If you were like Stefan and Oleg, it might work better. <laughs> more German, more Norwegian. That's true. And I'd be like Matthias Riddle. Huh? There you go. There you go. Now you got it. Got it. Now, I'm not sure back translates very well. <laughs> I have like a true appreciation for what you guys do. I, I enjoy your games kind of unequivocally, but also just kind of talking to you guys, I, I appreciate the story that's behind kind of your design process and, and where you are you guys are because from my perspective, someone who doesn't I'm I'm largely an outside observer looking in and I see your names on boxes and I think it's a big deal, but sitting down to talk to you guys, it's there's a very real situation going on here with how to build your name, how to live your life and, and what game design really is versus what maybe somebody who sits down and opens up fleet and thinks, oh, Matt Ritholm and Hitchfacker, these are big dudes. You know, there's a reality underneath that that I appreciate. And, you know, I'm not trying to go off on a tangent, but I just, I, I like hearing about this kind of inside scoop almost about the reality of the game design world and kind of it's, it's business and it's politics and it's a fight to get certain places. And, you know, that's balanced against just trying to do what you love at the same time. So, I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to hear about that, it. That's Matt's way. It's a nice way of saying it. You guys aren't as big as you think you are. No, <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Uh, no I was just going to say, you, you, you brought up a really good point, right? Um, Matt, Matt Riddle and I's uh, secret weapon is repetition. Like, we wrap our designs hundreds of times. Um, even if it's a four or six player game, like well, I'll play two guys, Matt will play two guys. Like we play so much, and we always we tell each other all the time. Like if we were felt, we would already had this figured out, like mathematically, right? Like we know we're not as smart as some of these um, designers out there that probably have it all graphed out with some PhD level math that we can't even understand. And to them, they just move the pieces around and slap some theme on, and it works. Like, we're not dumb. We're you know we're pretty smart, and we can do some probability and stuff. But but really, it's just a lot of hard work and wrapping. And just we do work at the same company, so on these card games, um, it's really nice because we'll we'll lunch together every day, and we'll play the card games at lunch. So you know we you know if we get going fast, we can get two or three games in in a lunch hour. So I guess if you have to categorize our method, it's it's really just brute force yeah. <laughs> with some. We think some decent intuition, but a lot of reps. I agree. I, I, not to under, not to under or oversell us, I guess, but it is like an educated course. I, I think because we are both, you know, math guys by trade, by engineering degrees, all that kind of stuff. We have a feel for what you know. Not to, we, we tweak numbers all the time, but I'm always shocked and amazed actually at how our initial guesses tend to carry through. In the sense of okay, that should be worth about this. 
that scores about that. Or we'll sit and do the, the point per action math and all that all that probability stuff that Ben talks about. But the reality of it is, you know, gaming is, is a feel, you know, reaction based thing. So even though we sit and do the math all day long, a gamer may sit down and play the game and not have any concept of that of the probability behind that decision versus that decision. We want to make sure that those decisions feel appropriate and feel correct. And the best way to do that is to play those decisions and to to have those situations occur. And yeah, and this is one of those things I think if you talk about something we learned from say fleet moving forward, is just because there's a right answer or what we think is the right answer, it doesn't necessarily feel like the right answer to someone playing the game. And there's a balance there between giving choices that are meaningful and giving choices that matter, but also choices that feel meaningful. And if you can't see the meaningful choice, even though we know what their mathematically was, it's no good. So you have to provide that ability for a gamer and for gamers that are people that are playing these games to make those choices at a level that may be short. You know, some, you're going to have some gamers that are doing all the math better than we can do. Then you're going to have a lot of gamers that aren't doing it at all and want to have those feelings and those reactions. So balancing those two is half our job, and we find no better way to do that than just play the crap out of them, frankly. Yeah. So how much do you have to kickstart your next game to sit in on one of your game design sessions? Because I just want to hear you guys crunch numbers. This sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's a lot of, listen, you want to work in defense, we make tanks. Not a very good use. Not a very good use right now. You know, you'd, hear us, you'd hear us insulting each other a lot. Yeah. That's our other secret. At <laughs> the beginning we talked about, you know, I've known Matt since I was 12. So there's no, like, we have no time to like, you know, everybody's feelings matter and all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, if I say something that's dumb, Matt's going to yell at me. And if Matt says something that doesn't work and I know it's not going to work, I'm just going to tell him, we're not trying that. Like, <laughs> and then he'll need to harness that because I've known him since I was zero. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I can't tell you how many times Matt said, what's the point? And that's like, a, it's a good way of saying, why are we talking about this? Like, why are we iterating something that you have no particular goal on? And and it goes both ways too, right? If I if I'm truly passionate about something, you know, I'm gonna keep pushing. And he may think it's dumb the first three times, and maybe the fourth time he says, okay, I kind of get what you're saying now. Yep. We'll, we'll give it a shot. And he may not. He may. And a lot of times, I'll just agree from the beginning and say, well, yeah, whatever. I wanted that because I, I do tend to be more of like, well, let's try that. Well, why? You know, why waste our time? Well, let's make sure that what we're doing, you know, is of value to each other. It's for our own time, and I, I do think kind of cutting through the kind of the, the BS of not being able to. to I, if you designed a game with you a know, partner, Matt, let's put let's put that idea in the parking lot and come back to it later. <laughs> oh, corporate slip. We don't have time for that. Circle back. Let's do a fishbone diagram. So I mean, it's literally like, are we going to, you know, are we going to iterate every idea we both have? No, we're going to spend a minute and a half talking about the idea. And if we can't see eye to eye on it, maybe probably if one of us thinks it's dumb, it probably is. So unless I'm, unless one of us are truly passionate about it, talk talk the other one into just trying it, trying it. We're gonna generally trust each other that if we both if it doesn't make it to both of our wickets, so to speak, or both of our gates, let's just move on and do something with more value because it's just not an idea worth trying. So I think there's a lot of you know there's a, there's a lot of honesty that has to occur there. And you have to be able to do that with your, you know. Well, I always recommend everybody have a design partner. Interesting look into your kind of collaboration because I was going to ask, you know, how does the dynamic work? But I think that kind of described it perfectly. Is yeah. that, I don't know. You have to you have to like the person you're designing with. First yeah. Of all. I mean, obviously it's easier for that because we were friends prior to design. It's not like we 
and we've got buddies we've met now, like I said, we're teaming up with Gilmore right now to work on something, and he's a good dude, but we haven't actually met face-to-face yet. I mean, I've met John, but not to design. We're doing it all over email and Skype. Yeah, and I just want to say, Riddle has this other skill where we'll be, like, problem-solving, like, really working on something hard, like, hey, you know, this resource, gold, is a little too powerful, but we don't want to get rid of it, so, like, how can we tweak the victory a little bit, you know, on this? And then, like, we'll be talking, and I'll, I'll be having all these really good ideas. And then Matt will be like, what if the hand size is, like, five, and if you draw this card, you have to discard, like, three of your cards? I'll be like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, that has nothing to do with what we're doing right now. And he's just like, I don't know, while you were talking, I was just thinking that might be fun. <laughs> he does that, that all the time. I think that's me and Dan. <laughs> yes. But half the time, it's a pretty good idea, actually. So, you know, you just roll with it. Yeah. I sent Tiff about 30 text messages with design ideas that just, as we're talking about one, I just like, what about this? What about this? Yeah. It might not make sense. I'll be like 20 minutes into thinking about like this card game that we started. And he's like, what if it's a dexterity game? I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> but. <laughs> I do think that would be difficult and... and with a you know sort of a, a design team or co-designing something because there is legitimate value in staying focused and it's really easy to stay focused when you're sitting across the table from each other. I can see it being much harder when you're kind of communicating over email or even Skype. So I would say that there's a there's some free designer advice no one asked for. If you're going to do something, just Figure out what you're going to do and just hack at that for a while. That like, sounds like amazing know. advice, Matt Riddle. Are you listening, Dan? Hey, we set objectives for this most recent one. No, all right. <laughs> a big officialness. Yeah, and then you change it into a dice game, but that's beside the point. <laughs> I'm trying to be a successful American. All right, all right, all right. In that same vein, maybe we should talk about some of these designs that have made it through that process <laughs> with Ben and Matt. So, Dan, do you have any questions pertinent to that? <laughs> <laughs> I can, you know what, Matt? I'll answer the question Dan hasn't asked yet. Hey, Dan, what are you guys doing this year? Well, let me tell you. So, I think um, right now, you know, the two things that we've got coming up in the short term, so here's our self-promotional hour, is uh, floating market, like we mentioned earlier. And floating market is definitely a breakaway for us. It's a, it's a lighter game. It's very light, frankly. It's super easy. Really, I mean, you can teach it very quickly. And it's fun. And we wanted to make this game a product of us that we talked about, and we're really, really happy with how it turned out. It's definitely going to be something that you have to experience, because not everyone's going to love it. We, we know that going in, and we don't care, because we think people that, you know, not people that get it, but if it's the right audience, and I think that some gamers are going to like it because you get some valuable dice, but we know family members, you know, can teach family game. It's just, it's a really, I'm rambling incoherently almost. I'm just, we're really excited to take a crack at what we would call that entry-level market, and that sort of, that game that you can really put on the table with anybody and give a crack with it, and it's a really, really fun game, and we hope people love it. That comes to Kickstarter in a couple weeks here, with Eagle Griffin, February 9th. After that is Monster Truck Mayhem. Uh, that was like Ben said, he had this, he's like, listen, we're going to make a game about monster trucks, and then he literally, not at work, I'm sure, but in a meeting at home, I guess, scribbled all these ideas. And he's like, here's our track. And it was the track. And it turned into the track. And that game is so ridiculously awesome. And it's so much fun. And that's going to be with Dice Hate Me. TBD, it'll be sometime this year, probably earlier in the year. He, he's still kind of working out his schedule. But 
That's one of those games where when you play it at a con or you play it, it just it's, it's noisy and it's loud and there's like a physical element where you're running into each other and it's just so much fun. And we couldn't be more proud of it. And I really can't wait to see you know, kind of the reaction to that one. I think that one could be pretty huge. So I'm looking forward to it. So that's our big things for this year. Everything else we have designed is in various states of, you know, we're, we've got, I couldn't even count right now without getting lost in my own brain, probably four or five different designs that publishers kind of, like I said, we've got a couple things with Eagle Griffin, um, one being that aforementioned game that I love, which used to be called Florida, now it's called Morocco, that's the tile layer. We also have a fleet spinoff, a uh, small, smaller than fleet even box, that's kind of like a... Like, I don't want to call it Fleet Light, it's just it's kind of another take on the blue building, but with a little bit lower barrier of entry than Fleet. It's like got, Fleet Different. Like Fleet Different, exactly. Tiny, I think Fleet. Tiny, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Fleet Zero. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Fleet 10 calories. And uh, we've got three or four other games, like, you know, one with, you know, German Company number one, one with other big German Company. I mean, oh, who knows? Those could hit any day, those could hit six months from now. Such a slow process. So the two that we definitely have coming though are actually fleet spinoffs coming. We just don't know what yet. So really, we've got three we're probably going to see deal in fifteen. Floating Market, uh, Monster of Mayhem, and Fleet spinoff, which I think we're tentatively calling Fleet Warp Cemetery. So because it's kind of takes place after you unload the fish from the boats, kind of like a thematic, um, thematic take on what happens once you're done fishing. Now you're trying to get this fish to market. Did you say theme? Yeah, it's theme. It's fleet, yo. <laughs> I can see the design meeting. So, what do fish do when they get off the boat? No, I'm just <laughs> what are we going to do with this? <laughs> Listen, our official stance, Dan, is we'll design the mechanics about halfway through, and then a fleet, a, um, a theme, Dan, will, will present itself, and it'll make sense, and that will drive home the design. That's our official party line. Yep. So, so speaking of unique themes, so I just wanted to jump back to you. mentioned Floating Market, which is coming to Kickstarter in a couple weeks, and we'll have our preview of that on the site, nonsensicalgamers.com. And um, it's it is unique. I played it. Uh, I played it a bunch of times, and the thing that's really unique is the theme. So I'm I'm curious how this evolved into. Um, for those listening, this is a game about collecting fruit your grandmother at a floating market. And that's just something I've never seen before. So can you guys touch upon so, where in the middle of your design that <laughs> you came from? <laughs> I'll give you the the three-minute history of floating market. Um, we've probably been working on this game for, I don't know, four years or more already. Um, it, it actually all started when I write the designer diary. It all started at a garage sale. Uh, there was a teacher selling polyhedral dice for like a quarter at this garage sale. So I thought, you know, I'm always thrifting in garage selling and picking out game components. That's good advice. If you're a designer, you want to be a designer, anything that looks cool, just buy it. It's Salvation Army, garage sale, whatever. So I got these polyhedral dice, you know, D4, D6, D8, you know, 12, 20. I thought, man, you don't see these in Euros very often or, or ever. You know, you see it in a role-playing and you know here and there uh, but you don't really see a euro using these so I went home and I designed the game in like 30 minutes and literally it's probably 75% of what I designed is was was pretty abstract but it was the thought of you're gonna have polyhedral dice everybody's gonna have their 
their allotment of them. You're going to put one in a round, it's going to go into a pool, you're going to roll the pool, and it's going to go, oh, and whatever the total is, somebody's going to, somebody's going to hit, right? It's, it's almost like a Euro gambling experience, but, but that's not much of a game. So then it became a worker placement, like an entry-level worker placement experience where you're going to have these different workers to manipulate the odds in your favor and to shift things around and to put yourself in the best position statistically to, to roll. And then you still have that oh moment when you roll and whatever. So it kind of started out as like you were speculating for oil. We thought maybe it'd be Texas Dice was the original. We, we started out calling it Texas Dice, and then we went to some other crazier fantasy themes. And like, like I said, the game was still about 60 70% done. And then Matt was just researching one day, he's really good at that. He does a lot of research, I'm sure, at home in his spare time. Um, <laughs> and he said, dude, there's this, like, thing in Asia where, like, they move these boats around, right? And they sell fruit and they shift around. Because that was already in the game where, like, the, the, the things you get might shift from here to there. And, and they're moving around. So, so that was already part of the game. He said, it's a perfect fit. And all we'd have to do is change... You know, this, this, and this, and, and it could totally be this Asian market with fruit boats and stuff. So uh, we kind of almost backdoored into it. Like, we, we had this game looking for a theme, and um, this perfect theme Matt found. And then, you know, there was some tweaking and stuff to kind of bring it home to make sense. But that was definitely the long version of the story. I think, too, like Ben said, it was, um, that was, you know, a very targeted effort to... We had this really nerdy Gollumaster theme where you're collecting elements to make a Gollumaster, and it was kids you played it. And yeah. It was completely overwrought, frankly, thematically. Like it didn't. It made sense, but it was the game that the theme was so much heavier than the game itself. So as we began to explore other things, we wanted to keep this element like sensitive. These, these boats that move around, and I, I think Dan, to your point about the grandchildren, that was just because at some point. You know, again, for us at least, afterwards, I gotta write a story, right? And at the top of that little, I'm not, I like writing, I write occasionally for fun, but I'm not like a natural writer, I'm I'm okay at it. And so I'm writing that little box that goes at the top of the rules that says story. And I'm like, well, why are these people buying fruit? Well, now that my fruit is a tourist and it's like a big tourist trap, well, that's boring. So I went back like 150 years, and that's when it actually was a floating market where the locals would come to this spot because it was, you know, you couldn't haul your fruit with a car because there weren't any. So the best way to get your fruit upriver or downriver was to drag it in a canoe. And then you go to this central location and all the local builders would come by and buy fruit. So then I sort of, you know, as I was writing, I was kind of inspired by the, I kind of thought the Ama grandchildren was kind of funny and the whole idea of fruit salad and you're buying these different, why do you, why do you need different fruits? So, well, okay, you need different fruits making this you know, awesome fruit salad, and that kind of just inspired me to sort of write that story. And then, like Ben said, we do legitimately go back and make sure everything makes sense thematically, but it was definitely sort of just my writing inspiration more than anything. They knew that your grandchildren in the market trying to be the first one to get fruit, so you can be the first one to eat fruit salad at the end of the day. So that's where that came from. I mean, you're talking to the guys that just sold a game called Eggs and Empires, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you got to give us a little slack, right? <laughs> it wasn't about breakfast. No, it's not. Right. <laughs> you can, if I could count the posts, I'd be like, I looked at that game, but the name was so stupid, I ignored it. Like, no, no, it's good. Like, somebody else was like, no, it's fun, I swear. You know, but I, whatever. You know, that was, 
I pull them like, guys, right? we're hunting for egg, dragon eggs. And they're like, what? I'm like, all right, we're just comparing numbers. <laughs> well, well, then you have people like me that would be attracted to the weirdness of that, though. So. That's true. It is like a whole hipster name. Totally. So I, I read really it there with get that in 3D. Uh huh. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we we got um, John Ariel, who was the artist that did like uh, My Sister Mystics was one of his big games, yeah. and he's good. And it's a pretty game. It turned out gorgeous. But it also turned out um, very kind of classic hero, which we wanted. But we wanted to sort of bring that lightheartedness to the game. Well, something that's interesting about Fully Market that doesn't come across in the rules and I think people will miss unless they kind of get in the spirit is there is sort of this, you know, um, not it, it's intended, frankly, like an intended social element where it's like, hey, come on, Dan, use your negative dice already. Screw that. We don't want the thing to roll high. Get it low. And, like, you're negotiating. You're not, there's nothing to trade. You can't pay the guy, but you're just kind of telling what you want him to do. And you're sort of forming these teams almost as you play. Especially like the three and you know the four or five player game, but even in the three player game, it's like all right, let's host Tiffany and make this thing go high. She put her low dice in. Everyone so I know that. does that. Exactly, exactly. So we kind of wanted to capture that that lighter element of the game. So we put this tagline though, "Game of Dice Screw." And one of the boats on the cover, if you look close, it's all high hazel dice. So like there's all these screw quotes set in like 1850s, you know, Bangkok or wherever the wherever the market is, and one of the boats has dice in the back, like the size of fruit, like these big, like the, the lady's got a bolt full of polyethyl dice, and it's kind of like this funny little Easter egg, and we just, we were working at ways to sort of get across, that's kind of the other thing, where the whole Amar Grantle thing, we wanted to get across the lighthearted element of the game, you know, not just, because it is a Euro, and it does have work replacement, but it has this fun, you know, dice rolling moment, and we wanted to kind of get that lightheartedness across, so that's kind of one of the ways we well, subtly did really, that. You bring up a great point, Riddle, and you know, we're what, like uh, two weeks out from Kickstarter. It's actually a really good point. We need to figure out a way to stress the fact that, like, this game is double the fun if you social game it. Like, if if you social game it and try to, like, hose each other and gang up on each other, like, that is kind of what it was designed to be. It wasn't designed to be uber serious where you just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go here and then you go there and we'll just see what happens. No, it was supposed to be like, Oh, Tiffany is in the spot, you know, of 20 to 25, so she expects the total to land 20 to 25. Hey, everybody, let's host Tiffany and drive it low instead. Like, yep. everybody, go low, go low, put your negative in. Yeah, yeah, screw Tiffany. Like, that's how you're supposed to play the game, and it's the most fun if you're interacting and doing that. So that's a good point, Matt. We should probably figure out a way to get that across. Any one of those, like, U- Uva Rosenberg designer notes, like, little faces, like... Little hey, mini yeah. Matt. <laughs> Learn it, but we should make that clear in the rules. Otherwise, it might get missed. And 
it can't be, you know, it, a group of A-type engineers might sit there and just do all the math, right? Okay, statistically, Definitely. if I go here, if I might be 10 in, and then I go, you know, that, it'll still be a fun experience, but at the end of the time, you know, you, we want that personal job in there as well, so we'll have to encourage that, I think. It will definitely be a different experience for us because everything else we've done has been a lighter card game. This is our first big box game, and it's going to be, I think Griffin's doing a good job, Eagle's doing a great job with how we're going to approach the Kickstarter. We're going to offer a big discount, basically, over what the MSRP will be to sort of encourage backers because I think it's, not to get into a Kickstarter conversation, but as Kickstarter changes and it becomes bigger but also different, so we have to find a way to incentivize backers. And I think uh, Eagle Griffin's going to do a really good job of pulling the market and figuring out how to say, hey, guys, we truly are going to give you the best deal you're going to get in this game. You're not going to feel, you know, people get mad when they can get a game two weeks after they got the Kickstarter copies and it's 33, you know, you get 33% off on Amazon and mm-hmm. what the heck did I back it for? So Griffin's agreed to take a really hard look at that. And they've done a great job, I think, for putting themselves in a spot where they can offer a deal that won't be beat in the post market. So it's cool. I think it's going to go well. I really do. All right. So when we come back, we're going to get into our most anticipated games of 2015. And for those of you who haven't been paying attention, that's this year. So we'll be right back. anticipated games of 2015 so we are going to go i guess round robin with a little bit of discussion and chat about some of the games that we are interested in um and while ben tries to scrounge up five games that aren't his own we will (laughs) go ahead and how about we start with dan uh give us one of the games that you are interested in for this year all right this is uh this is kind of cheating but that's what i do i skew dates and releases (laughs) Um, this one came out at Essen this year, but it's not available in the U.S. Tip, stop making faces at me. You can't pick Rhino Hero again. <laughs> no, Rhino Hero is great, though. Um, this one's Deus. This one's from Pearl Games, and I think Asmodee is releasing it in the U.S. It should be out in the next week or two, actually. But uh, this is, a, I guess, a card-based Civ game. Um, it's got a map in the middle. Think like Terra Mystica with like terrain features. And what you're doing is you're playing various cards into these different um, slots in your tableau. And each of those slots corresponds to a different terrain tile on the board, um, space, and you build specific buildings on there. This is kind of a high level, but Tiff and I have been playing it online, and it's really good. <laughs> the decision-making is it's tough. It's a very simple game mechanically. The rulebook's only like four pages. Um, but the decision is um, the cards in your hand can be used to either, like I said, play to your tableau, or you can sacrifice them to the five gods, which also correspond to the five slots in your tableau. And by doing this, each of those gods gives you a different power. So one gives you victory points, one lets you draw more cards, um, one lets you do any of the five, four other ones, things like that, gain coins. So it, there comes a point where you don't have the resources to build, the various cards into your tableau, so you have to utilize these uh, god powers, and it's just really good decision making. The choices are excellent. Um, we've been having a really good time with it. It's been tight. Uh, we tied our last game, and the first game was like a two-point win for Tiff. So, um, really looking forward to that one. 
great production quality too. Yeah. That game's not called Deuce. <laughs> There's only one reviewer who thinks it's called Deuce. I I don't know. It's like Fidelitas. I guess it could be anything. <laughs> I don't know. I say Deus because I'm cultured. But because <laughs> I'm cultured. I'm kidding. I don't know if it really is Deus. It could be Deuce. It's Deus. I'm dropping Probably Deus. Deus. 2015. <laughs> If it were a 2015 release, this would be on my list. Well, technically, it's a 2015 U.S. release. Tiff, what do you think about it? I like it a lot. I the the decision. Um, it reminds me a lot of La Isla, where you have this hand of cards and you have to decide what to do with them, and it's kind of like, well, I'm making the best of a bad situation feel to it all the time and there's some card comboing that happens so when you put the cards in your tableau they reactivate the ones that you've already placed in in order so you can plan it so you can do like i had a nine point turn on our last game because i was able to kind of combo up some cards together so there's a lot of that feeling where like oh look at me i'm a genius i just like did all these four things together it just makes you feel good um getting your guys around on the board and collecting victory points that way so i like it a lot i'm i pre-ordered it i'm excited about it Tiff, how about you? A game that actually comes out in 2015 according to your standards? <laughs> My very high standards. Um, I am looking forward to um, Pandemic State of Emergency. It's, Not Pandemic Legacy? Well, here's the thing. My OCD, I, I, I'll probably try it, but it'll be hard for me to play pandemic legacy and make changes to the board that are going to be permanent i've played risk legacy and the whole tearing up of cards is very traumatic for me so i i'm I'm looking forward to it but i don't think like i want a new expansion for pandemic and this one sounds kind of neat because it has um diseases that spread from animals to humans and it just kind of has some interesting little extra things in there so yeah i'm looking forward to that one yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting on Pandemic the Cure, and I don't think I've gotten enough, nearly enough out of that yet to be worrying about Pandemic expansions. <laughs> Not to mention the fact that I don't own Pandemic, so I don't think I'll be worrying about it. But... I'm kind of a Pandemic fan girl. Well, right, you have a Shadowbox Pandemic somewhere? I do. It's it's really the game that started my whole, like, modern board game craze, so I... I'm loyal to that that series of games for the most part. I I don't own Contagion, but everything else. Yeah, you should own Contagion. That's what I've heard. Any interest in the new pandemic expansion though from the group? No. No. It probably has too much theme for you guys. I understand. Too much theme. I'm interested in zombies and expansions. Too much co-op this for for our group. We're not really a co-op group. So, therefore, I don't buy very many of them. Well, this is a perfect transition into my game that I'm excited for. Uh, one of which is Elder Sign Gates of Arkham. Heyo. Uh, yeah, okay, so, I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Ben and I got to play that with Lonnie at Grand Con. I hate you. Michigan convention. Yeah. And he came, and I didn't, I'd never played Elder Sign before. Like, I'd never played it, so he's like, we're going to play Elder Sign first. We played Elder Sign, it was Whatever, it's not my kind of thing. Like, but now we're gonna play the new one. And I thought Daryl, like Daryl and Kirkman, like were like their eyes were so big, like they were shaking, and because they love that stuff. And it's not my thing. 
fun. It was fun. Yeah. So whatever he did, I mean, like I said, this is a sample size of two, right? One game of Elder Sign, one game of Elder Sign was the Gates thing. And the Gates thing was like 50% better. So it made me take a game that I didn't like very much because I thought it was kind of rote and boring. It made me think it was kind of fun. So whatever he did with the Gates was pretty darn fun. I could not be more elated to hear that reaction out of you, Matt. Because <laughs> if you find it 50% better, I'm probably going to really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, this turns the whole uh, Arkham kind of thing, takes it out of the museum, makes more hidden information because you flip all your locations over. Instead of knowing what you're getting into, you go in kind of blind. And it sounds like a better game. I like Elder Sign because it's easy and approachable, and a lot of people can get behind the dice mechanics. Um, and because Arkham Horror is awful, and Elder Sign is way better. So, yeah, I saw that face tip. Um, <laughs> So I'm excited for this expansion because I think it'll make it a game that'll be more exciting to get to our table because Elder Sign isn't something that we get to the table too often. But That's my number four. Yeah? Yeah. Someone's on my side. <laughs> it's Lanius. Oh, I forgot, I forgot. <laughs> Drink. Silly me. <laughs> Wrong show. Yeah, so Matt or Ben, anything that you guys are looking forward to that I'm going to... I'm going to say is not your own. I know that you guys are looking forward to your own games, but... Sure. What's our, if it, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to talk right over you. Um, <laughs> if it funded last year on Kickstarter, but it's delivering in 15, that counts as 15, We right? We don't have very strict rules, so okay. just don't look at Tiffany's face as she glares at you menacingly. So, um, my number five is Copper Country. Oh, yeah. Uh, is me and Matt went to a college called Michigan Tech University up in Lake Superior, basically, and as far north as you can go and still be in Michigan, basically. And the game is designed by a couple uh, dudes from up there. So it's actually like the map is like where we spent four years of our life. Um, and it's just a pretty cool idea. And one of the designers' dad is actually like a professor at Tech. So we have a lot of ties to the area, to the game. And it actually looks pretty slick, and I really dig the art, so I'm pretty excited for that one. There's supposed to be a good amount of history behind that, right? That game itself? Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting area. Um, the copper boom in northern Michigan is, is really interesting, you know, if you care about history at all. Um, like, they almost made the state capital up there, like yeah. in the middle of nowhere, because it was so much money and it was so booming, you know, back in the, it's called the late 1800s, early 1900s. So I'm excited for that one. Very cool. My number five, because I'm going in order, is the reprint of Target Euphrates. Yeah. Because it looks amazing. Like all the cool pieces and all the new tiles. I had the game already. I'm not a chrome guy. I don't need, like, like I love Paluva. I didn't back the Lux Paluva because it was a bit expensive. But I don't need that stuff to make a game better. I don't care about that. But I do think that looks just so cool. I'm going to buy it. Even though I already own Target Euphrates. And I never get to play it. Like, I love that game. I never play it, but I still want the new version. So that's my number five. Yeah, that's a good game. That's one I've only played actually on my iPad. I've never had a physical copy of it, so I was really excited when I saw their new uh, remake of it. It looks beautiful. It is. Dan's excited, then I get to play it. So that's excellent. Win. <laughs> All right, tip number four. No, we're going Dan first. Sorry. Dan, number two. Uh, number four for me is one that is designed by our good friend Matt Wolf, and this is Wombat Rescue. 
this is coming to Kickstarter, I think in February, maybe March, I'm not sure. Uh, but this is a game about pooping. And for all those that giggled at home, good, because I just did too. Um, it, it's a very unique theme. It's about wombats. And what many people don't know is wombats actually poop cubes. So in talking to Matt, he thought, wow, what a great game, because board games have wooden cubes. I mean, it just fit together naturally. Obviously, wombat poop board game. Natural. It's one of those things. So um, I've, I've yet to play it. I'm going to be trying it next week for the first time, which will be awesome. But um, from what I've read and what I've seen, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. It's got the art from the design, not the designer, the artist of Waggle Dance. So it's got a very like paper mache look to it, and it, it just looks beautiful. So well, that's actually that. my number four too, Dan. Um, we got to play it last year at Unpub Four, uh, and we had a blast. Uh, we laughed the whole time, but there's a really good game in there, and it's pretty cool to see the evolution from Matt's pro- Matt Wolf's prototype to the gorgeous art. And um, that player mat, if you've seen the player mat on BGG, it's just yeah, that's cool. insanely good looking. So um, I really hope that game gets a lot of buzz out the gate and goes big because uh, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Really cool theme, original, and um, pretty original game mechanics too. So yeah, excited for that one. That is my four reels number four as well. Like no cheating off the other guy's lists. That's my number four as well. So there you go. Well, very wow. nice, Tiff. We just shared them. Right? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so close to you now, Dan. Well, these three are joined at the hip, Tiff. What do you got for me? I think I'm going to rework my list a little bit, because Wombat Rescue is higher on my list. So I, okay. I might need to fill in some, some extra things here. But um, Hostage Negotiator is... I, I wasn't sure about this one. Sell me on it, please. <laughs> well, I don't know. I The reason I backed it is because it's... I do solo game, <laughs> and I heard that this plays so well, you know, and gives you that tense feeling of, of being in that hostage negotiation situation. You're taking these turns, and you're rolling your dice, and you're playing these cards to have this conversation, to have to release your hostages. And so few games that you can play solo really feel like a game. Like, it's not... It doesn't sound like it's going to be a boring solo game, so... That's why I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that plays games alone. I know. I don't solo because there's video games, but my favorite part about Hostage Negotiator is, Tiff, I'm sure you saw this, that original awful cover. <laughs> yes. Okay, so AJ is a great dude. We've met him in real life a couple times. He's Van Ryder Games. He's the designer and the publisher of Hostage Negotiator. So at some point in the past, he put up this... Um, what's that company that... It looks like a Flying Frog Productions. It's like a photo realistic cover with like a guy yelling into a walkie-talkie. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. That's the point. The point is it's Terrible. so bad. And the first comment is, really? And so like the next couple comments are about how bad it was. And then AJ comes into that thread and goes, uh, just kind of curious, you know, why? What's wrong? And it kind of, the whole thing just evolves into people saying how terrible it is. And, because uh, it's awful. It was really, really, really bad. And to AJ's credit, he went and got some guy to do like this Terminator 2 looking thing that's really cool. So, that's all I know about the game because it's solo and I ignored it. But to AJ's credit, he made this awesome cover after having a really terrible cover at first. So, good for AJ. I managed to Google in that time and I can agree with all comments. 
Yeah, it's so bad. The first comfort was so cheesily awful. Like, not like cheesy, like in a funny, good way, like that flying frog manages to pull off. It was like cheesy in a terrible, awful way. And it was a little rough. Hey, is this, is that real? Yeah, dude, that was, yeah. no, listen, that was going to be the cover to the game. Like, he, he kind of thought he wanted to go for that feel, I guess, and it didn't work. But that was real. It's like the guy from Office Space holding his grandparents hostage. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Oh my. Well, I, go ahead, Dan. No, I have nothing further to say. Okay. Well, everyone reels from the cover of Hostess Negotiator. They did improve it. Uh, my number four is Spectre Ops, which is from uh, a cooperation between Clad Hat Games and Nazca Games. And Emerson over at Nazca Games is a stand-up guy. I could not say more nice things about him and his game Volt and everything else that he has done. Um, we played a couple games of Two Rooms and a Boom over at Origins uh, this past 2014, and that was a, a boatload of fun. And Spectre Ops is coming out through Plaid Hat. The production value looks awesome. And in terms of thematic games, I cannot be more excited for, for a game like this. This is like spies versus hunter agents kind of thing. And it's, it's super interesting with some hidden movement. Um, Mr. Jack, Letters from Whitechapel, just very cool sounding stuff. And it's coming soon. I'm, I'm super pumped for it. So that is my number four. Number three is Daniel. Uh, my number three is a game I actually don't know a lot about mechanically, but it's one of my favorite video games, and that's the Portal board game. Wait, uh, what? That's a thing? I forgot yeah. it existed. I yeah. love Portal. It's so good. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see how they're going to integrate the the kind of puzzly feel of it into a board game. I think that's what excites me the most. That would be uh, a good solo game. I, I don't know. I don't play with like a puzzle. A lot. Cryptozoic, they might totally screw it up. Yeah, that's. I was going to say that's my one worry is with the uh, publisher, but I don't know. It's it's going to be cool. Like I said, it's it's a really fun video game. So I'm hoping they can translate that into the table, or onto the table, not into the table. Call me interested now. You're welcome. That's what I do. Tip number three. Okay, my list is all mixed up, so I don't know if this is, like, my legit number give, three. Give me another game. I'm going to do that. Okay. <laughs> all right, well, fine. Mine is Dark Moon. This is a game that Stronghold picked up. It had been a print-and-play on Board Game Geek for a long time um, under the name of BSG Express. So it's basically a shortened-up, dice version of Battlestar Galactica. So it's a lot of pointing fingers and you just do it with dice. You you have certain things that you have to do and you contribute positive and negative dice to accomplish those things and then ap- ac- accusations go flying and it's I actually had um, Andrew Tolson make a print and play version of it for me. So I know that I already enjoy it and I'm interested to seeing it with um, actual full production and, and art so uh that's dark moon yeah this was one of my honorable mentions because i'm interested in it we haven't been able to get bsg to the table yet and i've heard this is like a better implementation well ben how about you number three all right i'm gonna cheat I, i'm with dan if it came out at like essen it doesn't count for 14 because i live in michigan i'm not going to essen and i'm not gonna go on like 
Amazon DE and pay like 50 bucks to port the stove over like Tiffany does. So <laughs> to me, it's kind of like the gaming calendar is like the financial calendar. It doesn't have to follow, you know, whatever. So it's all man made anyway. It's a physical board game here. It's a fiscal board game here. Yeah, so I'm going to cheat. And I believe the Kemet expansion, didn't that come out at Essen? So that is my number three. Because if you've never played Kemet, it's the perfect blend of Ameritrash and Euro. Like, it's just perfect. you got this little area you're kind of building your powers up and making your, yourself better. It's almost like Tableau almost a little. But then you have to attack each other every turn. Like, there's really no other way to secure points like he they make you go attack each other while you're doing these little euro things and the game's incredible and the monsters um in the game the little minis are awesome and they actually use them correctly um the problem with cyclades is the monsters are kind of like it's almost like pointless to use them other than you want to use them but in kemet they did it right because the monsters are awesome and they're very useful so anything that expands that sounds awesome that's my number that's Fair funny. Enough. I didn't like that one. I traded mine. <laughs> oh, I, I'm just not a big dudes on a map kind of guy. But it's Euro dudes on a map. I guess. I don't know. I just I couldn't get I couldn't get a feel for it. It was beautiful though. I love the figures. I wanted to keep the figures and see if the guy noticed when I traded it, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think that would fly. But yeah, I don't know. Something about it just didn't stick. Very nice, Matt. How about you? My number three is. This Viceroy, uh, Viceroy, and Viceroy, pick I, your pronunciation. Yeah, whatever one it is. I know nothing about the game. I backed it because it was like popular and everyone seemed to think it was going to be awesome. So it's kind of selfish my number three because I'm actually purposely keeping myself in like a Viceroy bubble where I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to be surprised when it shows up. Whenever that happens, I don't know when it's supposed to show up. So that's my number three, only because I backed it. And I'm, you know, it's supposed to be it's like a runaway hit at Essen, whatever that yeah. is. So, that's just by default, it's my number three. So, who wants to tell Matt about Viceroy? What's your number three, Matt? My number three is a remake of The Duke. Catalyst Games is cashing in on The Duke and making Yarl the tile lane game. And it's because I love The Duke. Preferably, if you don't draw out of the bag and you just play, like, chess with some stock pieces. Um... And they re-themed it with Vikings, which is a badass TV show, so I'm just buying into the hype on that, and I'm, I'm going to buy it. It's it's shameless, I know. But anyway, that's my number three. We don't have to talk about it, because the Duke exists, and they're not changing anything. So, <laughs> Dan, now that we're appropriately on track, let's talk number twos. Uh, my number two is something that comes out next week, and that's XCOM. Again, another game based off a video game that I really, really like. Um, this one's from Fantasy Flight. It's got the uh, the tablet kind of assistant app. Um, it's a co-op and you're fighting crap. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's probably the one thematic game that I'm really looking forward to this year. Outside of Portal, but again, I don't know what Portal's going to be. So. Who we go to next? Tiff? <laughs> After you're done choking on your wand? <laughs> Tiff, don't die. Sorry. <clears throat> Swallow to read. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. Uh, it's 2015, and you were excited for what game? Well, my number two was Wombat Rescue, but I want to talk about a different game, and I will pick Steampunk Rally. 
Um, this was on Kickstarter, and I was really excited about it because it has card drafting and worker placement, and more specifically, dice placement, which is just a favorite mechani- mechanism, mechanic of mine. Um, so you're taking on the role of famous inventors, and you're building these contraptions and racing through the Swiss Alps, and, like, it's steampunk, and I'm a nerd, and it seems good. Okay. No comment? Okay. Um, Screw you guys. We on to Ben, and we say, what is your number two? Wow. Hey, I just want to say Steampunk Rally looks fun. Thank I you. Back, Tiffany. Thanks, Ben. He's the only one ever on my side. That's because I think you invented my favorite phrase ever, that Origins and Gen Con are like summer camp. If you didn't invent that, I attributed it to you. Thank you. Because I love that thought. It's like, hey, summer camp, you get to see all our friends. <laughs> That's how I feel yeah. about it. My number two is uh, Tesla vs. Edison because Conquistador Games puts out really good Euros. Uh, the New Science is one of my most underrated Euros of like the last three or five years. It's a fantastic game with like really good mechanics. Um, it gets ignored because it was really ugly with like the green art and everything and whatever, but it actually had some really clever, almost unique uh, stuff going on. I loved it. And then being an engineer, the whole, I'm not electrical engineer, but whatever. Everybody engineering is all like, oh, Tesla was a genius. Edison was, you know, a jerk. And uh, the theme is just really cool. Like, I'm really interested in the theme. Uh, Dirk Niemeyer, however you say his name, is a great designer. And I'm super excited for it. Well, what goes on in this game? Because there's, like, nothing on the Internet about yeah, I don't know. It's a sweet theme designed by a really good designer. That's, you're that's telling me that you're picking a game solely on theme? Alright, you win. No, not solely on theme. Based on the publisher, the designer, and the theme. Fair enough. Well, Matt, how about you? You know, I have a clear number one, so my number two is like a three-way tie. So I'm going to burn through the first two and talk about the third one. It's Crack Wagon because it's Matthias Kramer. And then it's Elysium because everyone's talking about it. Even though this isn't, I, I'm, I hope it doesn't listen, but like that Matthew Duncan's pretty hot right now, and I hated Roller Crumbs. I thought it was terrible. Like, there was nothing good about that game, in my opinion. But it's, it's him, and the game looks kind of cool with Elysium. But my real number two is Murano, which technically is 2014, mm-hmm. but isn't here in America yet. So once it gets here with Mayfair, um, it's Mark and Inca's brand who did Village, and I love Village. So it, it's like a 60-minute four-player game, you know, two to four. Looks kind of cool. Lots of bits on the board. I don't know much about it, but that it's, you know, supposed to be a little bit lighter than Village. But that's my number two, Murano. And I don't, like I said, it's Lookout. Came out last year in Germany. It'll come out this year in America. Oh, that's really. It's Lookout. totally out. <laughs> it's on my shelf. Have it already? I do. I'm pretty yeah, I want it. Yeah, I want to play this good. I haven't played it yet. Okay, so fine. In that case, make my number two Elysium, I guess, if Murano was 2014. But I want Murano. That's fine. We don't play by the rules here. so you know. I play by the rules. We push the limits as much as one board game podcaster can. So <laughs> that's just... Yeah. Uh, my number two is Argent the Consortium. Or Consortium, however you want to call it. This is... I think it's out to backers. It's been out for a while. I'm calling you know, breaking the rules on this one. It's from level 99. It's a thematic Euro. It's heavy and apparently convoluted beyond belief. I've gotten one play in at Origins. I loved it. I can't wait for it to come out, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting a copy. So I don't know if that many people are excited for it, but I think it's a cool one to check out. It's got some unique worker placement stuff, and 
it's interesting. It's definitely different in that realm of games. So, Argenta Consortium. That's been on every list we've done in the last like four episodes. <laughs> no, it was on my top of 2014, and I know I kind of broke the rules there, but it's technically still not out for another couple months, even though Kickstarter backers have it. So, that's fair. I don't know if if uh, Brad Dalton wants to send me some, I'll take it. Uh, whatever. Um, number one. So this is number one most anticipated game of 2015. Tiff, as far as you can remember. <laughs> but we'll start with Dan anyway. So, so think about it. So Dan, what do you got for us? Um, mine is Seafall from Rob Devio. Uh, this is his newest legacy endeavor. Risk Legacy was cool, but it was still Risk. But I really appreciate the, the legacy aspect. I like the ongoing kind of saga that's not a dungeon crawl. There's, you know, like a continuance of like your character, that kind of thing, that you'd get in like a descent or something like that. But um, yeah, this one looks really cool. Um, I think he's. I think this was one of my most anticipated games of 2014 as well. So he said in a couple of podcasts that it should be out this year. Again, this is in collaboration with Plaid Hat, so I'm sure the production quality is going to be great. Um, it's nautical themed, so I think it's pirates and things like that, which is another thing I really like. Um, just overall, looking forward to seeing what he comes up with. It's got to be a, a hell of a game to design. Just whole legacy aspect, playtesting different pieces. I don't know. I'm just looking forward to seeing the final product. Yeah, this is actually my number one, too, so I'll jump in here. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think that, at the very least, the legacy format is an excuse to play games more than once, which I appreciate anything that bucks the cult of the new. Um, and also, from what I've heard, Rob Davio, the designer, is taking playtesting very seriously, and apparently he's driving his playtesters mad with changes and kind of updates and trying to make this game the best that it can be because it's it's completely sandboxed to some extent um, and I'm excited for it because I think it's going to be something unique and stand out um, and Cloudhead does good things so that is my number one as well. Alright Tiff the moment of truth we're going to hold you to it for all 2015 Listen this whole time I've had a very clear number one and before I talk about that I just want to give an honorable mention of a reprint that Nefarious, which is my favorite Donald X Vaccarino game about being an evil mad scientist, simultaneous ex- action selection kind of a game. They're making a reprint of it this year. So I'm excited about that. But my number one is Monster Truck Mayhem. Woo! Yeah. Woo! I approve all pandering. <laughs> it's not pandering. It really is. Like, it's, it's made by a couple of hacks, but... <laughs> they got like, lucky despite that it looks awful just <laughs> knowing if you knew how I grew up and like the professional wrestling that I went to see with my parents and the white trashiness of my background that you don't know about and I'm sorry if that offends anybody but I own that um, that is at least one banjo hanging over <laughs> I do and I've had you know family members arrested at Function, family functions, so I think I can say that with some authority. Um, I have gone to monster truck rallies, so I love that. I love the theme. No one's done it. The real-time aspect of it. I know that this is something my board game club kids are going to just freak out about, and uh, you know, it's fun. <sighs> it's going to be like a King of Tokyo style. I hope it blows up like King of Tokyo. That's what I think. Why do you mention King of Tokyo? Because 
This is an exclusive to your podcast, but you'll never guess who drew the trucks for Monster Truck Mayhem. Who? The guy that did the original <laughs> King of Tokyo Monsters. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. Egosaur Monster Truck? What's his name, Matt? Um, ben something, right? Benjamin Renault. And they are awesome. We, we, yeah. They're really, I mean, we're, you know, first of all, thank you, Tiffany. Um, that's my number one, but I have a different number one, too. Um, it's, listen, it's going to be so cool. I mean, Chris, you know, Kirkman, Duck State Me, um, we looked at the different guys, and we just, Benjamin Reynal, the guy that did King of Tokyo, did the monsters for the first game, and the cover art and all that kind of stuff. He drew a truck for us, like, kind of on spec, saying, here's what I would, here's how I feel the truck should look like. And it was just balls amazing. So, he got the job, and we went, and we've seen all the trucks. They're fantastic. We're working on the track now. It's going to be sweet. So, it's going to be awesome. And I hope it's awesome. Not just selfishly, but I mean, I I truly think, you know, that it it has a chance to truly take off and blow up pretty epically. So, hope hope it does. Very cool. Definitely want to look out for him. We'll we'll let you plug a little bit more. But, Ben, how about your number one of 2015? So, yeah, outside of my um, selfish plugging of uh, Floating Market coming to Kickstarter near you in two weeks and Monster Trucks, um, those are naturally going to be my, my big two. Mm-hmm. Um, my legitimate number one is is uh, kind of a reprint. It's cheating, but it's so amazing uh, looking that i got to do it. It's Empire's Age of Discovery, which is kind of the remake of Age of Empires 3, which if you've ever played it, it's one of the best Euros ever designed. I mean, the, the game's incredible. Um, it's worker placement, but there's four, maybe five unique workers you can get that kind of do different things when you place them. So that concept in and of itself is, is just amazing. And then um, the only drawbacks of the old game really were the board was kind of hard to see, and there was some graphic design issues and whatever. So they're cleaning it all up. New artwork, you know, it's going to be brighter and just a better presentation of an already amazing game. Um, I'm really stoked for that one. It's going to be great. Very nice, very nice. Well, man, how about you? Round us out for number one most anticipated games. So, like I said earlier, I I was, you know, craft wagon interested me, but my number one, I checked the dates, I made it by six days because the official U.S. the official U.S. printing from Z-Man released on January seventh. So it counts, and that is the Stouffer Dynasty. And simply because it's Andre's setting, I love, and I mean love, um, Honda Teutonica. It's one of my favorite, awesomest games. I, yeah. It's dry, it's soulless, <laughs> and I love every second of it. Um, <laughs> I haven't played some of the other ones like Five Points or Friends, but because I just truly think Honda's one of the best heroes ever designed, I looked at Stouffer Dynasty, it looked kind of cool. Got a new Ford. I've heard pretty good things so far. So that's my number one. It's available now. I'm going to go get it one of these days. I just haven't got around to it. So once I do, hopefully it lives up to my own internal life. But we'll see. Very nice. It does look good. Yeah, I've been staring at that. I don't know much about it, but it looked very Euro-y. You know, I I don't think, you know, as much as I think 90, not 90%, 75% of gamers speak fair less about designers, obviously... You know, because we're all sort of alpha gamers and Ben and I being designers ourselves, I do pay a little more attention to that. So I, I do immediately give a game credit for the designer that I like, and I do, like I said, I love setting because I love Hanza. But all that aside, the game looks kind of neat. It's got some 
got a circular board that looks kind of cool. Got a pile of meeples, a bunch of tiles. It just got the little thing in the middle I read about where like you've got this turnover kind of weird thing where as you go, climb up and on this ladder and stuff that you get to do. And it just it just has a lot of cool stuff going on. So plus I love I have a huge soft spot for the 45 minute euro. Like that is the ultimate game for me. If you get if, I, if you can get me a good fun euro for you know three to five, two, three, four, five, whatever players and do it in 45 minutes, I it's, it's, that's like that's the best thing. I love games that take under an hour, take about an hour. So, like La Isla. Like a pair of like so La Isla, which I haven't even played yet. So I'm going to get that too. Come on, Ben. Don't. <laughs> yes. Let's have yeah. Ben on more. <laughs> Someone's got to take my side every once in a while. It's funny because you mentioned it every episode for like five in a row. I was at my game store the other day, and um, I can't buy another game right now because I've got like eight unplayed. But it's so cheap. I, I know. It was like 25 bucks. But I was there to buy sleeves, so we're prototyping. And I'm like, I cannot buy La Isla right now. And I have, uh, you know, a stack of shame eight high right now. Um, so eight I high? It, That's I don't adorable. Don't do it. Do it. <laughs> Sorry, Dude. sorry, got sidetracked with the late you slide. I need to play it again, but... Alright guys, well, we appreciate everyone, especially you, Ben and Matt, for chipping into our most anticipated games and sticking around with us for an extra bit of time to chime in about that. If there's any consolation, my uh, honorable mentions were Fleet Legacy and Monster Truck Legacy and Floating Market <laughs> Legacy. So, but uh, yeah, so that's our most anticipated games for 2015. There's a pretty good spread there. Lots of things for, I think, um, everyone of different tastes and varieties of what you're interested in. But uh, let's go ahead and give you guys a minute to kind of plug what you're, in, uh, what you're looking to plug. So you've got games coming out and you've got things that you're interested in. So shout out to all of our listeners. Go for it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think we've done a little bit of that already, but Floating Market comes out in two weeks. Please look for that. Um, again, it's a really neat, different kind of game. It's it's very accessible. The rules are pretty easy to pick up. And it's got it's just got a lot of fun moments. So please uh, please consider that game. I know there's a lot of consider money being spent right now on Tiny Epic Galaxies and Conan, <laughs> and now there's AEG. Floating like, Cats. Floating Cats. <sighs> AEG and Stronghold are starting out, so there's a lot of money being spent right now, so you can save. I think uh, we're going to do $29 bucks, um, plus shipping for floating market for a game that will probably be 50 bucks MSRP when it comes out, so just trying to give everybody a good deal there. So yeah, please take a look at that, February 9th. If you have any questions, look me up on BGG. I'm Ridlin. Tweet me. I'm Ridlin, or MD Ridlin over there. So yeah, just find me. Ask any questions you want. Look for the awesome Nonsensical Gamers uh, preview review thing coming out around the same time as launch. So, yeah, that's it. Look forward to that. Cool. And then any any deadline for Monster Truck, or is that still floating in the air? It'll be, I, I would think, spring, early summer. I think we're kind of just, we want to take the best possible time for that one. Okay. I don't think Chris is in a huge hurry. I think uh, he wants to make sure that he does it right. So we're, he's, we're and plus he's happy got to let him. Plus, he's to do with. I know he wants to time bottom of the ninth in and around spring training, yeah. so we're kind of being flexible with him. However, he shuffles, you know, his year around, and you know, I'm sure it'll be first half of this year at some point. Well, definitely something to look out for, and definitely something that we'll plug. Um, are you guys coming out to Umpa? Yeah, absolutely. All right, excellent. Well, that's another place where you can find us and these guys, Ben and Matt, um, at Umpa Five in just a week. 
or I guess it's just a few days if you're listening to this now. Um, but yeah, so you know that's pretty much a wrap on episode 15. Um, let's go ahead and do some plugs. So Dan, if people want to shout out to you, where do they find you? Uh, they can send me a postcard at. I'm going old school. Please put your address on the phone. I don't want the police anymore. I want postcards. Um, I run the Leaf page at Leaf Nonsense. My personal one uh, for less G-rated content is at Scandalous underscore Ned. And yeah, my emails and all that are on the website, nonsenseschoolgamers.com. All right, Tiff, how about you? And I'm at IneptGamer on Twitter. And Ben? At Pitchback21 on Twitter. All right, and if you're looking for favorites, Mr. Matt Riddle. <laughs> yeah, well, I do, listen, I like to, I appreciate people talking to me. <laughs> so, if you mention Fleet on BGG, you're probably getting a thumb. If you add me in a tweet, I might favorite it for you. You know, I like to spread the love. I've been trying to favor this whole Skype call. <laughs> <laughs> There's no button for that. It's not letting me. Every time I click on that, it just blows them up on my screen. <laughs> it's it's just his head. All right, just to share that it's my head with, not too much, I think we changed the channel, but is it still top of accent fine? No, it's Masterpiece Theater. Oh, oh yeah, my wife was watching Downton Abbey probably. So she turned off top of accent to watch Downton Abbey. (laughs) So, good for her. All right, well, and you can always reach out to us. Um, Dan said the Twitter feed, but you can find us on Facebook at uh, by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Our email podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. Matt and Ben, we appreciate just absolutely all the time that you guys have spent with us and uh, looking forward to your games, so thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And you guys take care and join us next week. Uh, we'll be doing our Unpub Roundup, and we'll probably mention these guys' games again. But, uh, yeah, so join us next week for episode 15 where we talk about our Unpub Roundup. And check us out at Unpub 5, Baltimore, Maryland. I'll shoot them at you. Just I'll go as you see fit. Right, are, we first, both, are we both answering? Are we answering? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you both answer. If you go first, and then I'll go. Done. Alright, favorite game? Frazier. Dominant Species. Favorite designer? Kinesia. Kinesia. Cheater. <laughs> They're not I fell Dora and Kinesia are all so close, but. I got Dukes on Kinesia and Dora. Yeah. <laughs> These are the guys you're competing against to get your games sold? <laughs> They're amazing. Ah, uh, yes. So you can't pull me jock. <laughs> Favorite publisher? Eagle, Eagle Griffin. Griffin. <laughs> Good answer. You get to publish your next game. <laughs> Alright. Favorite component in any game? No crab meeples. <laughs> oh. Wow, okay, I need a minute on that one. They don't care, Dave. They don't care about components. True. <laughs> just 
this sheep supposed to do thematically? They like the pen and paper that they keep score on. It's just wooden cubes. <laughs> wow. But wood colored wooden cubes. No, no paint. I like Actually, the, you know uh, what's awesome? Is that little dude in Zongsha. You ever seen that guy? Yeah, it's incredible. It looks like something like Garden. I like the temple. I like the temples in Kagus uh, and Euphrates. Those are awesome. You could be temple. Alright, uh, play a game or play test a game? Play a game. Play test a game. Oh. oh. Yeah, you see, you know, I'm just saying it gets it done around here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys kind of alluded to this before, but Feld or Dora? Feld. Dora. Dora. We're splitting Dina. That's what we're doing. Play the Dina? It's amazing. Dina's good. I'm taking points off for Amazon as being so awful. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's speaker stuff. But what about Real? Oh! Real does okay. so bad. Realto's <laughs> yeah, not very good, I agree. I don't like Realto or Bruges, frankly. Like, I didn't think Bruges, I didn't think either of them were very good. But, Borobor was good that year, so he wasn't totally in the water. But, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'll, it's felt. It's felt. For me. Alright, Gen Con or Origin? Gen Con. But, I love Origins. Mm-hmm. Alright, uh, this is this is for me, and I know you like these two, so. For sale or turn the tide? Turn the tide. For sale. They're both awesome. They are both amazing. I think turn the tide. Yep. I, I had for <laughs> sale as the best filler ever for years, and I, I've changed my allegiance. Turn the tide's better. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. <laughs> we owe you big time. All right, the Maybe ultimate. Silent, but she's pulling the strings. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. He's in for salad. Soup. <laughs> Soup. Don't make, don't make friends with salad, man. No. No. What if it's fruit salad? Wait without it. Oh, fruit salad. Winner from downtown. There it is. Yeah. Only the quote from a floating market. Exactly. Alright. Barbara Streisand or Bette Midler? What? <laughs> Bette, Bette Midler. Yeah. She was on Friends. Or she was on Seinfeld, I mean. She was on Seinfeld. Yeah, George, that's, George that's, Plowder. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not Plowder, but she's on Friends. She was the catcher. Yeah. <laughs> the we didn't know about. <laughs> Bette Midler because of Seinfeld agreed. <laughs> 